Hey guys, for the extra Sunday content, as well as bonus weekly content on top of that, go to our Patreon link in the description and find the Black Kluge tier or higher and subscribe. I have zero, um, I have zero inbox. Do you know that? We do another contract here. Let's do a three hour show. What? We should be done right now. Well, you're having this negotiation with me. That's the only problem. Well, who am I supposed to negotiate with? <laughs> Fred? And uh, the one thing I don't respond well to is humiliation. I don't respond well to it at all. You know, I don't want to be told what a shithead I am. I don't want to, you know, those days are over. I've I've suffered enough in this business. I don't need to to find out what a shithead I am. Are you ready for this? Cut your hair, man. What do you do? What's going on? I'm getting old. So what? I can't keep it like yours. I'm old too. So what? Yeah, but you're ugly. Oh, thanks. <laughs> Jesus. What are you saying? I need the hair? You need it. No, I well, need you it. need it. Well, you know, it's just interesting when people have their kids on the air. Yeah, but I'm just saying, if a kid was a fuck-up, you just keep them quiet. I put my kids on the air more, but they, they want no part of it. When you're trying to just have a friendly conversation, when he's irritable, the things you do every day become the wrong thing to do. That's true. He doesn't listen. That's right. But the most irritating thing of all is that we used to be good friends, and we just aren't anymore. I still love him, but he says everybody's expendable, and I just have to live with that. I was going to look for a Nikki Hilton. Wait, you, but you see, those good-looking rich kid, rich girls, they don't go for a guy like me because they don't need my money. And Rickles tells me this story, so Beth says to Don Rickles, gee, I wonder what they say about me. <laughs> Don Rickles goes, you! <laughs> No one cares about you. You don't even know that important. No one says anything about you. No one. No one talks about you. I don't even not, know you. You're not that big. I do have to ask, do you think there's a physical match between him and Beth? Do you? I guess they're both tall and have tall fingers. Yeah, they look right together. <laughs> I don't know, they look more right together now. It was just on the regular show. <laughs> it just occurred to me that I messed Like, who get, like, I, uh, it dawned on me, like, two days ago. Who's a, like, my hair's going to get crazy because yeah. I, I don't have, like, a, I'm not going to get a haircut. And Beth goes, I'll cut your hair. But you can't cut my hair because my my hair is curly. It's a, you need, it's you, hard to cut your hair. podcast about Howard Stern. I'm your host, Jim Fix, a.k.a. Fillmore, and with me are Ben and Sam. Welcome, guys. How are you guys, how are you guys feeling today? Feeling like talking books. Okay, good. So welcome to Library Supplemental from the QF uh, Book Reading Club. Eventually, we're going to get into the uh, education of Robin, guys, but uh, in the meantime, oh, we're going to work our way through this uh, tome and we're now going into unit uh, sorry units <laughs> I'm sorry, professor <laughs> professor mode <laughs> we're going into chapter 5 he's uh he's leaving WRNW he's uh, go- going to Hartford which is WCCC um and the uh, so we're going into that and so he's in between looking for the next big thing constantly so if i'm not mistaken uh, 
the 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 ninety six dollars a week thing that he talks about that mm-hmm. was at WR right? Yes, briefly. Yeah, and then he gets uh, basically. Oh, he'll, we'll go into the financials as well, but he also lies about the signal strength of WCCC, which is funny because you can't that you can't trust almost anything he says these days because uh, the numbers just don't match up. Um, one moment, guys. They, okay, so if you're following along in the book, guys, it um, the audio in the last episode, you, uh, page six, sorry, page six, part six, uh, said that uh, after two years of WRNW, um, the an eternity in the gypsy world of small market radio, Howard wanted to move on and up. So it said he he needed a tape of his antics that would reveal his qualifications if he wanted to get into <laughs> WCCC. It said he was no small chore. Howard had hardly distinguished himself as the wackiest jock on the dial. Sam? But you wouldn't think that hearing how he you know, it says his history was like that. He was just such a wild man that nobody could tame and everybody wanted to get rid of because of that. It's so it flies in the face of how he talks about himself. Yeah. I mean, it was in, it was in inauspicious beginnings and, you know, but he, you know, that doesn't work in the story. I still think private parts would have been perfect if he just told the truth. Not perfect, but it would have been at least more realistic. And it gets actually really grating when he um, mythologizes himself among celebrities to make himself seem like a badass. I really don't appreciate or enjoy that. Yeah. Well, yeah, I I think he actually sponges off of them and takes things that are interesting from their own mythologizing of themselves and later on applies it to his own life. And, you know, the whole 10,000 hours thing that he's always talking about now. Um, But, you know, one thing he does toggle and say that his early days, he, you know, he still does the whole like, oh, my voice sounded different because I was nervous the whole time. My first 10 years on the radio, I was nervous. And he, he, but he will toggle between um, I was finding out I couldn't do straight radio to I realized I was never going to, I didn't have a good voice. So I had to come up with something. It's funny how he'll constantly, just this past week, he was reflecting on somebody who had a great deep voice. And it's funny to moan about how you don't have a deep voice when you have this voice that people have said, Does, that's not your real voice, is it? And he insists that it is. So how can you complain that your voice isn't deep and also insist that this deep voice we're hearing is yours? I agree with you. And I also, don't understand how he gets away with and nobody presses back on that concept of a nervous voice means you have a high and tight voice. Now that can be okay for like maybe a couple statements if you're under pressure or some or something, you know, but mostly if you have a nervous voice, it's maybe not as boisterous. It's maybe shaky, but there's no way that it accounts for dropping your vocals for octaves lower. I mean, nobody who's nervous that's a performer that sings just says, you know what? I have a nervous voice. And so I'm going to practice. And my voice is going to sound from, let's say, uh, Mariah Carey, who can sing to the highest octaves to somebody like Tony Braxton, who has that low bass voice. You can't do that. Right. It just doesn't make any sense. You don't go from Barry White to Karen Carpenter inside of nerves because and or as a result of because the truth is 
recently, more recently, and when I say recently, I'm talking in the last four months, possibly, we clipped, mm-hmm. so one of us clipped something for a breakdown where in which he said, there, there's some audio glitch or some audio issue, and he goes, it's probably my compression. It's probably my compression oh. settings. And I, we've, there's, and I went on some audio form, like tech, to audio tech, you know, file, uh, microphone, audio stuff, uh, forum. And, and there's a guy who says, I've seen the setup. I've talked to someone. I've been to Sirius and I know there's a certain amount of, there's a noise gate and there's a, a certain amount of compression. I know the mics. I don't remember the exact settings, but someone who used to work there might be able to tell you a little more. And, uh, there's no, without question, his voice has been modulated. My question, oh, the yeah. one, the one, the one running question people have is how does he get his voice to maintain that? When on the mic, when on the uh, the red carpets, and when he's on talk shows, well, on talk shows, he doesn't. He doesn't. I would say he doesn't. You know, yeah, it, it, I agree. It, if you hear his voice when he's talking, as you said on red carpets, sorry, cut you off by the way, red carpets yeah. and talk shows, he's doing a very obvious gulp, stilted performance. Yes. And, yes. you know, it's one of the reasons why I think he does not like to interact with people in real life because they're going to get too close and he cannot maintain the appearance for that long. I mean, mm-hmm. you can't do the jutting out the jaw thing for very long. You can't do the, <laughs> um, you know, keeping his um, his hair uh hidden at certain angles so you don't see the straight across <laughs> stitching in the back or and you know the whole the voice thing it's very difficult and tiring for him yeah. to, to maintain it and you know one thing that just to get back for a second when he does his imitation of himself uh with a nervous voice it doesn't sound anything like what he actually sounds like he goes in a complete misdirect and does the whole like oh yeah Permit. i talk like this that's not how you talked no. It, that's not, you know, and, and when you're nervous, you don't talk like that. So anyway, but he always he always appeals to the um, the emotions of people who would go, oh, well, I'm not going to call you out. I feel bad that that you were so nervous rather it, than you know, hoping that you won't point out. That's not how people talk when they're nervous. It's another it's a, it's a it's a lot of like what people say about, you know, no offense, but like. Biden stutter. They say, oh, yeah, because he has a stutter. That's why he's forgetting things. No, that's not why he's forgetting things, because he has a stutter. You guys make up excuses for things. And I really don't like when people say, oh, yeah, he was nervous. No, it's not because he's nervous. It's because he never sounded like Darth Vader. And now when we do this podcast, especially and Bob talks about this all the time, and I feel the same way when we listen to a lot of clips of him in succession with that voice, it gives us migraine because in one side of my ear, I'm hearing this. It's this awful base in my ear that somehow triggers my headache and I'm like I can't deal with this after a certain amount of time and Bob and I both feel sick when we're done with it yeah you know the funny thing is when you because sometimes and I think this is one of Howard's favorite thing is is to get paid for being silent so he just lets everybody else talk and he just sits there silently and sometimes these conversations go on for a while and you'll hear multiple people talking and then he'll weigh in, and I'll always laugh because his voice sounds so fake. The microphone, the settings, it's crunchy. It's, yes. um, it's, it's not at all – and I would assume that a, that a real sound engineer, it would drive them crazy that they aren't <laughs> consistently mic'd, that one guy is using everything up to 11 and everybody mm-hmm. else is keep them normal. 
I would equate it to like putting on an Instagram filter of yourself constantly while being videotaped normally. It would be like if we're doing this podcast and Fillmore looks like a porcelain doll with well, do you remember that photo of Howard? Remember that photo that Howard put out to say happy birthday to Robin and it was him and Beth, except it was <laughs> yeah. a wax figure of Howard that from a different world, 30 years younger. Uh, <laughs> that's what his voice is doing too. You know, the, I, I have said before that his voice is Photoshopped. Well, I mean, the, the image is everything. And, it, and it, the, the Instagram, it's funny you mentioned that, Sam. The Instagram, the way uh, Beth approaches it is no different because it's always angular. It's never a dead-on shot of Howard. It's almost okay. always like, uh, you know, side and off shoulder. It's, you know, just a bit of the hair, a bit of the nose, but not enough of the hair to see the netting or <laughs> to see that the scalp. Sometimes. Ben, did you, ever see that, um, did you ever see that video compilation that I found – um, on streamable that uh, it, it illustrates him via the Howard TV or whatever it's called now on his own app with the wig pulled back. And it's, it's just it's just random clips that they released where you could see it's clearly gone so far back. You can see all along here. Oh, wow. <laughs> no, I haven't seen that. OK, let me just pull it up and I, <laughs> I, I will not provide the visual for you guys because I think we already have done it. But uh, let me just um, when I get Why to it, I'll turn down the sound. Usually, yeah. usually can't you also tell that it's it's just had no sunlight, no sun exposure, just parts oh, of his hair, so there's his skin. Oh, yeah. And the gray, too, like the gray I noticed sometimes is there, sometimes is not. Mm hmm. So. Wow. So, I, I saved it. This was from Cormano from uh, Reddit. And so this is, I think, some September from 2021. He's taken a couple vids from different days. And this look, is amazing. That's that's yeah. the smoking gun. If you ever really that want is. it. I mean, there's a well, lot the, of smoking guns. This is why oh, yeah. he had to switch to bangs to begin with. To oh, sorry, September in. of 2020. This is so bad. It's it's really pathetic that he thinks this curly, disgusting, drain-pulled fucking hairpiece from a plug bathtub <laughs> is really fooling anybody. Like, why pick that? In the 80s, you could say, okay, he was doing the thing that most hair bands did, the floofing, the perming, the teasing, the pulling. So a lot of people had that rock boy band sort of hairstyle. But then in yeah. the 90s, you could also see his hair change the texture with the length. And so it would make sense the longer it got, the more pulled the curls got. So it looked longer and leaner in his hair. But then this back to this. <laughs> it reminds me yeah. of someone. It reminds me of a kid. Sorry, it reminds me of a kid who wants to dress up for a concert, like it's a rock concert. So he goes, "I'm not sure what to wear." So he shows up wearing a tuxedo, and then it's a, it's like having heavy metal concerts. He shows up wearing a tuxedo, and then he decides, "Man, this isn't cutting it. I, I, this isn't going to work." So he goes backstage, or he goes somewhere, and he, then he decides, "I'm going to put on a suit of armor," and then so he's there, <laughs> you know. It completely incongruous what the time with the time, the location, the place, and and with Howard, the whole hair thing. It, it, I mean, we had Joe, um, not what's his name, God, God rest his soul, uh, Jay Thomas, and he was one of the few people in the studio who said, "When are you going to get rid of the hair?" Like, he was, don't you think? Don't you think at a certain point it? And and he said, "What do you mean? I'm just gonna I'm gonna keep it on until." 
And it was the only time, and he admitted it at the end of the interview when he's talking to Greg, the camera guy, said, I like to go in there and like hit at someone's insecurities. Just, you know, I know that Howard's probably going to spend a week in the therapist talking about what I said mm -hmm. about his hair. And that's exactly right. So why he believes, well, it's the emperor's new, new clothes. He, no one thinks they should tell him anything. God only knows what Beth says to him. She treads very lightly. She treads. Well, <clears throat> Uh, the the former lead singer of uh, Quiet Riot, Kevin Dubrow, had the same hair system uh, that that Howard has. If you Google his name, in fact, I can't share a screen here. I don't think I I would show you guys. And so someone even went and did a a tweet said that says Bald Stern, no Twitter. The guy on the right. Oh man! So it is literally, and if you even look at the old pictures of him, see yeah. film or like one, two, three, four, five, six down, that looks like his hair system in the eighties. See, see that how one? The parts that's like, are identical, and the cascading. Yeah. Look at the one that's one, two, three, four, five down. That's the exact eighties one he had. Mm -hmm, Not yeah. go, uh, go up, Fillmore. Which, which see that one? one that says that pin, the metal and classic right next to the one where he's like got the big mouth open. Yeah, that's oh, yeah. exactly the one he had in the 80s. Yeah, oh, yeah, it is. And if you look at the one with his where he's got the mouth open, you see his hair's really thin um, right there. There you go. You see he's he's losing it there. And then, of he's course, down here, peak. you can see. But wow. wouldn't you think you were looking at Howard down there at the bottom right? Yes. Yeah, they <laughs> have the same incredible. secret. They have the same secret. You're right. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. Look at this guy. Happy birthday. You'd think that was Howard right there. The black and white oh, with the uh, oh, this hands. One right there. Oh, yes. my goodness. But see, yeah. you could get away with it back then because so many rock stars had that sort of quaff. Oh, yeah. Now yeah. you cannot get away with this. So Look, that's why. Right there, that picture of Howard, they have the similar hair thing going on that where it's the just, thin wisps. It's but, yeah, unbelievable. That, so he went from that part that I always said you could file, you, you could shelve a book into because that part right. was so big um, to eventually creating bangs. And yeah, this was not good. Are, yeah. We've got, and I keep, I keep promoing and I should probably shut the fuck up about it, but uh, Kevin, uh, sorry, uh, God, um, Spencer Coburn, the hair, hair room, yes. ha the hair guy has agreed to do an interview with us in late summer. Spencer Coburn? Is his name? Spencer, yes. Spencer Coburn. He's got the last, same last name as Tony Coburn? Cobrin. 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 Oh, uh, it's The Bald Truth. That's the name of his show. It's on YouTube. He's got his own channel, a couple channels for some reason. And uh, he had an experience and he talked about it. And he said um, that when they mentioned a caller talk coming, came in and talk, sorry, talked about seeing Howard's hair when the, she saw Howard in an elevator and she saw some netting or something. And then she brought it up on the air. And of course, they addressed it, and then they got a call from Howard's management saying, don't ever talk about his hair again. They got in trouble. I'm yeah. sure you remember this, Ben. Yeah. Um, yeah, did you guys ever see my little – maybe open up my YouTube, and I'll send you a link. Um, okay. It's uh, – I, I wasn't expecting us for it to be on the hair stuff for so long, but um, <laughs> let me go to – It's a detour. Yeah. You know you're an annoying bitch? <laughs> Do you know that? Yes. You know you're an annoying bitch? <laughs> Are you? Are you gonna stop being an annoying bitch? Never. Are you an it's annoying so bitch? Never. Are you? Yes, I love it. Oh, wow. oh she's, she's not even ticklish. ticklish. No. Hey, Ralph, help me. Oh. Ow, she's ripping my hair out of my head. Oh. Good move, Good move. What about her feet? Are her feet ticklish? She's biting his hair. Ow. What is she doing? She's ripping my hair out of my head. I'm pulling out strands. Oh my God. Shut the 
fucking filth! You oh. filth! He said, you stupid bitch. You, you are, you are, you are filth! Howard, you're letting her that, beat you up while she's tied she's up? She's tied up and she ripped all the hair out of my head! How and fast? She's talking. Listen, this, sorry. Listen this to what she the, says. This is the key point. I don't know, but did you see that clunk of hair that I got in my mouth? It was like a weird texture, though. He's got weird texture of hair. I don't know about that. But Yep. One day, though, he veered in that direction, possibly to prepare himself or capture on tape a few morning riffs that might impress WCCC. As Bruce Figler drove home, drove home from doing WRNW's overnight show, he listened to Howard, who had traded shifts that day with the station's regular morning men. Neil Young had released a new album, Comes a Time, which contained a standout tune, Four Strong Winds. Although that uh, the song was a wistful take on Time Past, Howard told his listeners that Four Strong Winds was about flatulence. Yeah, big surprise. Here it, here it was between 6 and 7 in the morning, and Howard's doing farting routines on the air, Figler recalled. I wondered if he had he'd gone off the deep end. Um, so Figler added, I think he had heard of the opening in Hartford, arranged to work in the morning, and then sent them a demo tape of that show. He knew that none of our bosses would be listening at that hour. So, yeah, go ahead, Sam. It's interesting about the Neil Young comment, because if we remember... The, the summit, the big summit stage thing. And he said, Neil Young shouldn't be able to shit without thinking about me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and it's incredible because this is what he did with Neil Young's one of his most popular releases. Right. So you I'm the biggest Neil Young fan. Yeah, that's really that's what you believe. You're the biggest. Neil. Do you think that people's memories are so short? And by the way, I think they're really overselling this this um flatulence humor yeah. I th- if i'm i'm almost certain that this is in history of howard stern and i think it was as straightforward as this howard howard says something like that was neil young with four strong winds and now it sounds like maybe he ate him something that didn't agree with him i think that's as far as it goes wow. and you're not going to hear that and go that's the future of radio that guy is a wild man you're not going to have yeah. people calling in. Get him off the air. Yeah, yeah. None of that stuff. Yeah. So the way it's I, I being des- the way it's being described is like Beavis and Butthead. You're right. Yeah, yeah. I I think that's as dry and as uh, tame as it was. You know, if I can find it, Fillmore, I'll send it to you, and okay. um, you can splice it in. Okay. Whatever tape right. Howard put together reached WCCC program director Bill Nozel. It was nothing special, Nozel said, but there was something about him that I liked. And Howard was persistent. He kept calling and calling. I finally had him up for an interview and an audition. If I recall correctly, his show was quite mediocre and I wasn't interested in him. But he kept bugging me so that I had him back for a second taping. He wore me down and we hired him. This reminds me of his angle in the summit of how he said... When people say no, what do you do? You're like, you have to be like Jehovah's Witnesses. You have to keep knocking. You have to keep pressing these people. You have to wear them down. Now, that might work for like the first year or so when you decide to run these tactics, these these incredibly annoying tactics for somebody. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. after that, 
How long do you think those tactics are going to help you keep getting celebrities or new crops of celebrity or interesting angles? It's not. It's annoying. And then you become known as the schnur of radio. Well, the adage that, you know, you never take no for an answer. Well, unfortunately, guys, as salespeople, you have to learn to take no for an answer sometimes because the buyer's literally turned off by one thing, the price, the this, the that, the other thing, the day, the time of the day, their their own their own issues with whatever going on personally. So you can't force yourself like that. And indeed, uh, this is the way he kind of gets away with most of everything in his life by whining, crying, well, that's- you know going to his mother and saying like I want this I want that and the uh, like we, like you pointed out Ben in that 8 millimeter footage of him seeing father kiss his sister on you know on the lips yeah he slaps already, his father he starts going hey what about me what about me that yeah. that's him with everything yeah so i was going to say this is not him being a um a businessman who says you know the first no is a maybe that kind of that's not him no. it's it is peter pan this this behavior of I mean, he talks about this is how he got uh, laid in, in college. He would beg and beg and beg and say, it's not fair. It's not fair. You've had sex with all of my other friends. That's what he says to his his hottest girl on campus, Beth. Um, he said to her, it's not fair. You've had sex with all my other friends. It's not fair. It's not fair. And finally, he got what he wanted. So I, I've never applied for a job. Where I called and called and called and called and asked them, why haven't you contacted me yet? It's it's very um, uh, Peter Pan behavior. Most of the WRNW staffers were sorry to see him go. Quote, he was the nicest guy I ever worked for, end quote, Figler said. Quote, I don't remember him getting mad at anyone. He was a sweetheart of a guy, end quote. Keeping track of Howard's subsequent career through stories and radio trade publications, most of his WRNW colleagues were unprepared for his stunts and pranks elsewhere. The mellow, how weird they had known did not seem to harbor a grand ambition to be an outrageous air personality. Quote, what was surprising is that he parlayed so successfully the kind of off-air juvenile adolescent bathroom humor that most of us had used and left behind. Barbara Melmet said. On closer, I hope I, my voice doesn't go like Howard's because I'm nervous. On closer <laughs> examination, it was easy to see that the freewheeling, often anarchic, and always colorful world of WRNW had been a unique breeding ground for Howard's latest outrageousness. Quote, he was not yet confident or courageous enough and or dopey enough to reveal that side of himself. Brackets on the air, Jeff Levinson said. He used those two years to explore parts of himself that he thought would fly professionally, thereby establishing a connection between the scruffy station and the radio superstar he would become. I I think that's mythologizing. Yeah. He, he was not using those two years to experiment and find himself. He saw that the they needed a uh, wacky morning man, so he scrambled to create what he thought was a wacky morning – because he was not a student of radio that he claims – he always claims he no. was. He had no idea what other radio stations were doing at the time. No. He in would fact, soon find out. It actually is incredible the fact that he had so much opportunity to research this before he got into the field based on his father's connections and didn't do that. He didn't do the homework for anything. 
with that art, with that library of stuff that they had at Briarcliff, Briarcliff Manor, I would have memorized every fucking liner note of every album, so that when I went to the next place, I had have a, like this vast knowledge of music, and I could build on that, being like a deep cuts guy or something like that. Because a lot of those, a lot of those people be, made did make names for themselves, and then go on to other things and became it. But if ultimately, if you had the goods, if you had a good voice, if you were good on the air, if people liked you, likability was most of it. And I don't think he was ever likable. It was all just controversy first, likability, talent, uh, and effort second. And you see how he appreciated Meg and was jealous of those type of DJs who had this knowledge of different music, who were bringing cutting edge stuff to the table. And knowing that he didn't have that, instead of studying this and trying to understand it better, and a, he appreciated it, but he didn't do anything with it. He didn't bother to try to become that person. He didn't bother to try to listen to the music. He wasn't interested in this stuff. So that's why I think these two years he's, he was working on, that's bullshit. Everything in his career has been a short. He's always wanted a shortcut to whatever bit of fame he could get higher up, you know, whatever. When Bob and I, Chicago Bob and I, were just going through the interview show from the 1991, 1992 part of his whole, uh, you know, this, the interviews he did with uh, especially um, Grace Slick. And we're going to start doing a series on them with and when Deborah gets back, because they're so unbelievably awful. And I find it fascinating that he had five years after the failure of the Fox pilots to put something together and never learned never learned Speaking a single of that, thing did you hear him Fillmore this week say that uh he turned down fox yeah yes we we covered that he has there's a way earlier audio than that when tommy from malden calls in and says uh, he goes i was offered to go up against uh johnny carson i turned it down that that's that was his that was <laughs> we, you when we did the uh, arsenio versus howard um episode which the uncut version is i i know you don't listen back to podcasts uh especially ones you record ben but you definitely should give that one a try because okay. we're clip heavy and it's the full version on the podcast not the not the youtube one because it was cut we included his more recent interview with arsenio and i mean he goes from i didn't want to work for them and oh they didn't give me money for my set and oh and then he said oh they threw me out no they escorted him out <laughs> <laughs> you yeah. know, and Gary, the whole Gary on the plane. It's one of our my favorite episodes to re-listen to. Yeah. Well, he just, you know, at that time had happened to have the FCC ruling come out for the first time that right. basically said, we're issuing you a warning. It really yeah. was a warning. It was not a fine. Yeah. And yeah. he was able to take that and tell his audience that the reason why Fox pulled is because they got so scared of the FCC coming out against him. Um, and of course, that wasn't the case. He came out. He, he went on the air. I mean, he's, when you go back and listen to some of these things and you know what the truth is, it really is interesting to hear how a con artist will jump on things get ahead of them immediately, um, craft the story for you before, you know, no need for you to explore this any further. I've just given you every detail. Why would you need to ask any questions? That, Play with that, time. It's, yeah, it's very, it's, it's very interesting. And he's not that bright to begin with. So I was going to say, it's all made easier for him because his soundboard is just bouncing back his own take. So Robin's going, yeah, they do do that. They're, so it's not like someone's grilling him. So he's, you know, he's, he's, He's uh, explaining his side to people who are going to echo his side. I agree. He reminds me, you know, a lot of 
I guess I could say models of the 90s and people who actually had to do the work in runways and stuff are upset by Instagram models now just showing their face on a social media site. And then all of a sudden they're in a Versace runway in Paris Fashion Week. It's it's enraging to a lot of them who put in this work and now they're being shortcut by social media people who have right. filters, who have a following, who walk like a fucking wounded deer on the runway. It's embarrassing. <laughs> and so I see him a, a lot as like the first person who bullshitted their way into industry, like one of the first people in his realm. He is oh, yeah. like a fucking Instagram model, but, you know, not hot. I know about Billboard magazine. I knew so little. It was like, like well, oh, wow, you can, where do you go to get jobs? I don't even know. But there it was. 50,000 watt FM and AM combo. He's he's also incredibly wrong. That's actually 23,000 <laughs> watts. And it wasn't always 23,000 watts. I believe they upped it in 2000. So it was probably way less in at that when you're, time. When you're talking, should I do that? Do, 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 do. I didn't oh. know that. <laughs> I didn't yeah. know that he had doubled their reach. Yes. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Broadcasting in southern New England, and I'd heard the station traveling back and forth, and I go up and I auditioned. I never auditioned in my life. The program director was Bill Nozzle. He sits me, he says, go in a room, pick out some records and do a show. Let me hear what you be. Good morning, man. They're looking for a funny morning. Man. I go in and I sucked. I didn't know what to do. And I didn't get a call from her. And I was kicking myself. I said, I could have been fun. So this time I called him and I said, just give me one more shot. He goes, it's not happening. I go, give me just another shot. And I went in and I played Stevie Wonder and I said something over the record like, you know, I think his favorite color is corduroy or something, something dumb like that. And I started to play Robert. <laughs> it's a mo it's amazing that he was hired, but I, I have to think. <laughs> That they looked at this stew. I mean, do you think of who must have applied then if they chose this guy? Nobody right. applied. Right. Um, but they must have just said, okay, this is a stooge. He will do whatever we tell him to. And he will. It could very well have been that like that. Sam? Uh, Ben's right. Because you can imagine if he's the one hounding them for a job and the desperation, they can smell that and probably say, okay. Even though he sucks, he's going to do whatever we want. He's going to be the most malleable person, and we can yeah. give him, we can give him whatever we say we're going to give him. We're going to do whatever we want to do, and he's going to listen. He's going to be a yes man to the end. And if he's also desperate, like most of his staff end up being when he gets to be, quote, Howard Stern, unquote, um, then they can pay him so little, like compared to someone who's a tried and tested, you know, like radio veteran or something like, or somebody with a huge CV, he, they see that he's got no experience. That's exactly what they're looking for. They're looking for a stooge. So he ends up telling them, he ends up saying that he played a Robert Klein album. So Robert Klein was responsible for him getting a job. Klein records. He was the funny guy, not me. You know, Robert Klein, sure. I played some Cheech and Chong, but he must have heard something in that audition. And then I got on the air and here I am broadcasting first time with ratings and the whole thing. WRMW didn't have any ratings. And I was responsible for a morning show, and I started to develop it in the way that I knew how, and I started to do wild things to get attention. Okay, now the next clip is actually Robert Klein in studio, and he admits to him, so... My first radio job I got because of Robert Klein. You should tell him that story. Yeah, I should tell you about that. You know, you were responsible for getting me in radio in a way. How so? I was working in Westchester at a, a little radio station, and... um I was uh, the program director and stuff, and it was just sort of going nowhere. 
and I was making like zero money. And I decided I wanted to be like a funny morning man, have a funny morning show. So I sent a tape to this place in Hartford, okay, which was a big deal, 50,000-watt station. was going to be a big deal. And all I wanted to be was a morning man. I didn't want to be management or anything like that, right? Mm -hmm. So I decided... I'm going to send some funny tapes or something. I look in the book, sorry, my own mistake. It said here, WCCCAM, which broadcast only from sunrise to sunset, and the 20,000 watt WCCCFM. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so mm -hmm. 50,000. <laughs> it was like, it reminds me when Artie would say, I took 40 Percocet. You know, it was probably four. You know? Yeah. It, yeah. So I didn't know what to do. So I just, I went into a studio, I started clowning around, and I took a Robert Klein album. Because all they had was Robert Klein albums and Cheech and Chong albums at the right. station I was at. I took the Robert Klein album and I said, okay, we're going to play some Robert Klein for you now. And I just played Robert Klein. He was a scream on the on the tape. And they hired you. I said, and they hired me. They sent that to the program director and he hired me. He said he thought it was pretty funny stuff. Yeah. I didn't do a funny thing on the whole damn album. You know, it was the album that was funny. But he liked that I picked up the album and started playing it. And because of you, I owe you my radio career. So no, here it is. But that's a nice story. Okay, so there's that. Oh. And now there's some WCCC info, which I believe is the beginning of Chapter 5, guys. If Howard was going to stand out on Hartford's radio dial, it had to be on the strength of his own creativity and self-marketing. His employer operated too frugally to promote him into stardom on the two stations that simulcast his morning program in competition with rock outlet WHCN-FM. WCCCAM, which broadcast only from sunrise to sunset, and the 20,000-watt WCCCFM, which simulcast most of the AM programming, were the sole radio properties of Greater Hartford Communications Corp. Its president, Cy Dresner, also served as the station's general manager, chief engineer, and jack-of-all-trades. Uh, the rest of that bit of that uh, paragraph, guys, just details how that they were pretty tight-fisted, and they had old equipment and uh, things like uh, it said when it came to spending money. That during his vacations, routine purchases were put off, and COD deliveries were not accepted until he could approve them personally. This is the uh, side Dresner guy. So, and then the next bit of audio. Uh, this is called Stern becomes a busy boy. Howard had graduated from sleepy Westchester to the capital of Connecticut, thrilled by the prospect of working at a far-reaching station located halfway between New York and Boston. It was probably the best move I ever made, he later told Newsday. At WCCC, he was paid the same miserly salary of $12,000. He had to be on the air six mornings a week. He had a weekend public affairs show to prepare and do, and he had more commercial work to complete than ever before. Yeah, go ahead, Sam. It's interesting. They said um, he had a public affairs show to prepare and do. Mm -hmm. I wonder what that preparation looked like. <laughs> I just because you see how he prepares now for anything. And I just have a hard time believing that he was sitting there, you know, gulping up public affairs and studying them. I would say, arguably, this is the first job where he actually had to do a lot of work, like really had to do any kind of work and and was solely responsible. He didn't have a backup crew. He didn't have a cleanup crew. What we hear later on is that Fred <laughs> helped him with fixes, clean up his records, which he admits later on on, on his own show. But I'm like, so you needed a go. You needed someone to clean up your wipe your ass for you everywhere you went. So if he if he did have 
if this was a job that he actually did the most work, then I would be interested in actually hearing these shows back if they were on public affairs, because then we would get to know what he really truly thinks of public events and public affairs. If he was the one doing the homework and broadcasting, because I bet you a million dollars, it would look like the antithesis of the guy he pronounces now on the radio, having so little research of topics of public affairs today and just spouting off the crappy yeah. rhetoric that he does on the I, show. I guarantee I think you. he just I think he just asked questions that were boilerplate questions that you just can go ask anybody. I mean he was saying he was recalling this week that it, he would do like a, a car dealer owner car dealership owner and things like that. It wasn't like I mean he maybe he'll talk to an activist or two, but um I don't think he I don't think he showed any personality in those. It right. wasn't like the Howard Stern interviews you're talking about uh, reviewing. But this I know that uh, we're probably going to get to this, but there's this audio from a birthday show in 1997, January of 87, that I discovered and posted it, <clears throat> a link to it back. Um, it was actually when I did the podcast with uh, the other place with Grillo, <laughs> the private parts. Oh, God, was, that was oh, a purple. mess. I know, but I was doing, that was my first, uh, yeah, my second podcast with them. I was doing some research and I landed on some audio that I wasn't expecting to land on. So I just let it play while I was working. And it was him talking to Bill Nozal, um, or Nozal, however you say his name. Yeah. And he, it's Howard in front of the crowd at the birthday show for, uh, so it would, he would have been, um, 30, uh, let's see, 32, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 33. Uh, it was on his 33rd birthday and he's telling Bill, you know, I was a genius. You guys didn't listen to me. And that's why that, that's your problem. Aren't you? Don't you regret that you didn't listen to me? And he was hitting him and getting the audience to laugh at Bill and, you know, look how successful I am, Bill. Till finally, Bill says, We did teach you how to steal material. That was good. Ooh. Yep. And oh. you hear people go, What? Um, I think it was, was it Kinnison or was it? Anyway, there are some guests who are like, What? And yep. Howard sheepishly says, that was true. You did teach me how to do that. And then Bill goes, you were good. Yep. At and other people's material. And we'll, oh, yes. we'll get to that. But that audio was scrubbed not long after I posted that link. I created a thread about it saying this is like the find of uh, this explains how Howard became Howard. It wasn't like he um, wanted to suddenly show the world who he truly is and he's been hiding. This was because he was instructed. Here's how to steal. I remember that show, by the way, and you oh, yeah. were fantastic on it. And I remember being <laughs> so annoyed with Grillo. Oh, like God. I wanted yeah, I him to too. shut the fuck up. And I remember feeling this way of like, if somebody actually had control of this show, it would be so much better. But of course, you know, that's what you get with unprofessionals. Yeah. Well, the uh, the the thing is, I have that clip. I know I have it somewhere and I'm sure you have you it do? somewhere too. Oh, well, yeah, I don't have it. No, I wish you did. Uh, oh, because you got rid of your, uh, mm -hmm. your files. No, no, no. I just I never had it myself. I just linked to the YouTube page. Yeah. That, and without even thinking, I should record this. It might be taken down. I'm on. I'm the ultimate stern hoarder. If I hear some audio from even like a Conan O'Brien show, well, yeah, now that's good. Yeah. Yeah, because these days you never know what because it's 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 just the 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 rules of the game have changed, and so you don't know who's going after what. Uh, Sam.
it's actually shocking the things that have been taken down, the YouTube pages that I have pinned and stuff like that that I've saved over time. They no longer exist. They have taken down. I never thought some of the audio that I used to have is gone. Yep. Those Dead pages. Links. Yeah, absolutely. So this next paragraph gives you a little more insight into what it was like for him. He awakened. This is page 48, the second paragraph, guys, if you're following along. He awakened in darkness and drove from the apartment that he and Allison rented in suburban Bloomfield to WCCC's downtown studios at 11 Asylum Street. <laughs> what a great, ironic name. Uh, his sign... <laughs> sorry. Perfect for a wild man like Howard. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't even notice that. His sign-on was 6 a.m. The operation was so lean that he had no one else to pull records, field phone calls, or rip and sort the reams of news stories that continually spilled out of the Associated Press machine during his show. And can you remember, I don't know, Sam, you might be too young, but to, to remember the old printers, the, the, um, with the, um, the, 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 they had the sides you had to matrix. rip yeah, off. They dot got matrix. the dots yeah. on the side. Eh. They still have those. Um, <laughs> so at the county, which is incredible, we still have, um, we still have uh, computer program systems that use DOS, so we have we have to keyboard. We can't use our mouse in these systems, and the reports that are generated <laughs> from those systems come from old printers that have those, um, you know, dots on the yeah. side. And yeah, dot matrix and the, the feed, yeah. the feed, the so feed tube, or whatever it's called. The I feed am file. I am still a DOS user and know how to keyboard and do all that stuff of like, you know, F5, F6, F7, like you just have to know how to operate those things and page back, page forward and how to print. So unfortunately, I do understand. <laughs> well, it seems as though modern Howard Stern, like the, the, the current show, you must be running on like Windows 3.1 and, and trying to figure out how to, <laughs> because I mean, it's it's horrendous, uh, the, the errors that still happen. After four hours on the air, he often dialed around Hartford to apprise the other media of his antics. He was always on the phone to the local TV stations and the newspaper reporters, Nozal said. He was the world's best self-promoter. Yeah. Mm -hmm. This guy who acts as though, hey, I don't reach out to anybody. If they want to do my show, they can come do my show. He, in truth, was con – and what could he possibly have told them? Did you hear my show today? I, uh, I said four wins. You, you like okay? Let me put that on the front page of this well, uh, of the Hartford Courier. Well, these sort of inklings of what he truly is like and how he does constantly self-promote is echoed in the fact that after all the years and decades of success that his show did have, is when he was standing on a stage alone by himself in the summit and saying. We have to get out to these people. They need baskets. They need promotionals. Like they should be getting folders, like literal folders of what we are doing. Do they know that I interviewed Madonna? Do they know what I've done? He had the same sort of mentality from all these years, which is how you know the opposite of what he was saying isn't true. Ben, do you recall the audio of Colford being interviewed really dry, like one of the worst voices I've ever heard narrate anything or say anything, but he said something along the lines of, and it may be in this book as well, he will not promote, the only time he goes out to do any kind of promo yeah. is when he has something to promote. Like you're not going to mm -hmm. see him go into, go onto a talk show with nothing to promote. He's always no. got something to sell, which is to me, I mean, that's a, that's, 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 that's more incisive, more insight into his, his personality than anything 
I I think it's more. Sorry, this glare is behind me. The sun's setting in the background. No, so no worries. Um, very... I think it's more Buckwald's personality because I think at the beginning Howard would have done any. I mean, you look at those old New York uh, TV appearances he used to do. Uh, the one on the David Brenner fill-in yeah. daytime show and. He had nothing to promote other than I'm on the radio. It's not like he had a new product to push. When he, um, when he was up and coming, yeah. He needed yeah, to, every think, stepping stone. I, yeah, especially for TV. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I'm sorry. When he got to a certain point in his development, his career, his success, then I think is that that's when that really took over. Yeah, after Buckwald. So when he had but Bongo Fiesta to sell, when he had a book – well, both books, uh, third book, even like he to go on a junket to sell Howard Stern comes again when you know it's such a piece of shit. Um, and that's that. And most of those, I, I bet those ones were contractually obligated by the book company. Like if oh, you yeah, can yeah, get on yeah, Letterman, well, you're going to do it. Right, right. Yeah, that was because um, he would always, he it on, wasn't like he was trying, trying to get you know. royalties because he would take the advance. Yes. So you, you, know, you take it all at first at front and then, you know, it doesn't matter how many copies are sold. You're not going to see any of that. Right. I also found it interesting during that promotion, the NPR interview, I think it was right. Whether you did with Terry Gross, isn't she yep. NPR? And yep. I found that one really bizarre, like that, that was part of the package that he was supposed to be doing. And then I realized just how different NPR is because I haven't been listening to it over the last like, you know, few years, how much they've changed. The fact that they allowed that and um, amplified that stupidity and nonsense to flow through. I was like, wow, NPR is really a hack piece of shit public <laughs> service now. Well, um, I remember that, and, and I, I, I never listened to um, Terry Gross, but I was listening to – once again, Howard relies on you're going to f- feel sorry for him and not press him because he would – that's where he was starting to really push the idea that his mother would say, I'm going to go upstairs and kill myself. Right. And when you say that to someone, if they believe you, that's hard to hear. You go, What? Your mother right. as a teenager, when you were a teenager, told you I'm going to go upstairs and kill myself. Right. That's uh, – but so anyway, he preys on people like that. Easy marks. Yeah. Um, and anyway, he's been um, – you know, I, I've said about his, his therapy that it has made him better at conning people. That's oh, all. Yeah. It's not made him better at – you know, he's not trying to cure himself of anything. Narcissism doesn't have a cure um, no. and he doesn't want to be cured of it. If there was one, but he's used it to be, you know, to, to better con other people. That shocking awe that he did in that interview with Terry Gross is amazing, too, because like you said, you say something so shocking like that, you would obviously react in the certain ways that Terry did. But if you're a fan and you know this, then you would say, why if something like that, that's so critical to how you ended up as a person that hurt you so badly why would you then for years on end make fun of that person if not more mm-hmm. than sympathize mm-hmm. with them then well, try to the help same thing them about, or heal them you could say the same thing about your co-worker who was molested as a kid if that's the truth why do you constantly make jokes about it and laugh at it and right. um, have song parodies about it and so on and why does she laugh about and, it and, <laughs> yeah. and nobody challenges right. them they yeah. listen to this. They listen to these sob stories as if 
the rest of it didn't happen as if the rest of the stuff that you guys put on the radio about mocking it didn't happen it's so annoying yeah ben i don't know if you've heard the audio but bet deborah and i one of our contributors we covered the appearance of robin's parents in the studio and yeah, I remember. I, I didn't. I've if it's the same audio I've heard. Howard and Jackie were stunned to see them come in. They yep. couldn't. It was it was the most uncomfortable feeling yes. audibly. I mean, I'm trying to think of ex- similar experiences on the show. Maybe when John Kay came in and the, you know they they sandbagged Billy and brought in John Kay from Ren and Stimpy. That was another example of because Billy wouldn't give them anything, and he was really just matter of fact, mm. quiet, mm. and didn't you know, get angry, which is what Howard was hoping for. That was equally uncomfortable, but not quite as, I wouldn't say equally. It was almost as uncomfortable, but that her parents coming in we I, I couldn't believe it when I heard the audio myself, just to if listen I remember to it. right. She was going to go and show them how her, she rides her horse. <laughs> and yes, she was going to have them at a hotel, not at her own. And that she, she had them like picked up in a car and presented them with flowers whenever they, if I remember this right. Right. So yeah, I, you know, I did a lot of research whenever I first read her book, Quivers of Life, mm-hmm. when I did a read breaking it all down. And in some of my research, I found that audio and I just said, oh, I got to hear this. I don't remember it. You know, and, I, and, I, and if I had heard it, I hadn't read the book and had no opinion. I just took whatever she said is true. And my opinion changed after reading the book. And when you hear the way she is, they start – if I remember this right – they go, I don't even know what I should say to your father. And my, she yes. says something like, oh, my father wouldn't know what you're talking about anyway. My father right. suffers from dementia That's or right. whatever it might be. So don't even bring up anything that, that you're thinking of because he won't know what you're talking about. What a convenient out. Mm-hmm. Say but to the mother would. And it's so bizarre. And the mother denied it. Yeah. It is just so bizarre that that whole situation, I remember – thinking to myself when I heard that audio, this is exactly how we would be like, like, I don't, all the horrible things that you've said, and now they're getting the red carpet treatment almost in a way. It was just amazing. Well, yeah. And we, and basically Deborah and I came to the same conclusion. It was all about Robin wanting to show I'm a big shot. Look at me. Uh, And it was all about teaching them. Look at the, look at this is who you raised queen Ophelia. And then years later, don't you remember she had her family over for some holiday? And <laughs> I love that clip. Remember, <laughs> she said the they did, they did the prayer. Thank you. <laughs> and Robin was irate about yes. this. Well, but there were two it, such things. It was Sorry, weird. There was that, and I really apologize for cutting you off, but it just gets me sort of like off the off the rails thinking about it. There was that. <laughs> There was a similar one where during the 60 Minutes thing, um, 60 Minutes piece on Howard, um, she had her sister-in-law over and she was saying, well, you know, thank, you know, thank it. So isn't that, didn't you hear how wonderful it is? Howard's going to send you to racing school. And mm-hmm. she said, he's not sending me to racing school. I'm going, you know, and I wanted to, <laughs> she said, I wanted to strangle all of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you know, speaking of Robin's book and inappropriate, uh, surprising. Do people know that when Robin had the book release party for her book, she had a parade for herself? Yeah. She 
Yeah, that you can find this. I just typed in really quickly on Google, Robin Quivers a Life Parade Boxers. And you can see she's yes. wearing these oversized gold novelty gloves, and she's got boxers and little trunks behind her, and she's waving to people and playing the Rocky theme as she drives down the street. And the New York Times even wrote about this, saying people must have been very confused. What is this woman doing for herself? But what's even more confusing is it's a book about – a woman who's been molested by her father and <laughs> and raised by monsters who, uh, who 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 took in foster kids and who she beat Robin beat and yeah. the the it's a ter- I mean it's a it's a dark book book and yeah. uh, just because the editors latched onto this stupid Muhammad Ali thing where they're yeah. going to be like that's going to be the thing we're going to use boxing metaphors throughout. And we're going to craft this thing that your whole life has been about Muhammad Ali. And so, therefore, you have to be a boxer when you go out and promote this. It's ridiculous. But to promote a book about overcoming the the traumas of molestation and so on, and you do the Rocky theme and have a parade for yourself, that's absurd. It, re- it reminds me a lot of Amber Heard. Like, she, the echoings and underpinnings of you taking something in completely miscategorizing what happened to you versus you doing this. Cause I really think not only was Robin abusive to her family because she says she was in a lot of ways, I think the abuse she says she suffered is untrue. So I yeah. look at her a lot like Amber Heard and Amber Heard paraded herself around as this victim, which she was not. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's a lot of the similar similar underpinnings and Robin looked ridiculous and nobody knew but I do think if you remember Howard going out for his book promotions or movie promotions remember he would sit on a king's throne and he would be you know it would be like a Cecil B. DeMille movie he would be like paraded (laughs) around standing up and like you have these slaves like underneath him carrying him around it was insane I think that was the was funeral for player? in L.A. I think that was the funeral for the guys in L.A. Whenever but they had him hoisted up in a chair and they yeah. had him I carried think was, around. I think they did like an emperor theme. Yes. For yes. that. And then and because, you know, in Philly, when they did DeBella's, uh funeral, they did a theme and it was um, priests and uh, DeBella was. It was like an a uh, uh, hangman. I mean, I'm sorry. Uh, was it supposed to be beheaded or something like that? But it was like a, a priest thing. They they were they, right. they came out wearing robes and all that kind of stuff. Um, and by the way, it's fascinating too. If you ever listen to the history of Howard Stern, when they talk about that, this whole making a funeral a um, a spectacle was mm-hmm. not, of course, was not Howard's idea. You know, nothing is Howard's idea unless it's we shouldn't do that. And it ends up making him a lot of money and a lot of success. Then, yeah. that, I mean, it was his idea not to do it. But anyway, his idea that he pitched on the air was we should show up wearing our leather jackets with pins that say, like, DeBella sucks. And <laughs> that's it. <laughs> the program director, Andy Bloom in Philly, says, no, you should have a real funeral. And, you know, declare yourselves the killer of. Bella. But so Howard had, has no original ideas. Anyway, sorry to 
Well, if if Robin if Robin's promotion de- promotion department decided, you know, we have the option, we can either come with with a, let's use the Rocky theme, like this boxing thing, or we'll have you know Jimmy Savile on one side and the Scarborough Rapist on the other side, you know, backing you up because that's what the book's really about, and that's right. the yeah. big selling point. You know, what the, what the fuck are we gonna do with this thing? And I can't imagine like the what I laugh what I, the one last thing about that book, I cannot believe, I cannot believe for a minute that the crew didn't savage that fucking book more oh. than they did because no one believed it. Not a single person believed anything in the, the book. The only problem is that it requires reading, and I don't yeah. see that crew being <laughs> I, big read. I mean, Fred probably read it, and uh, Billy, you know, maybe, Billy probably maybe read highlighted. It. Maybe, maybe Billy. Was Billy still there at that point? Yeah, he was. He was? Okay. Yeah. Um, but, you know, this, I love talking about this book. Yeah. Book. yeah. It's... it's, it's uh, it's it's a uh, it's fascinating. I get annoyed. I find I get annoyed when people buy it, but sorry, buy into it when they read it and they believe it. And when it's so much more plausible that Ro- that Robin went to this seminar where she was got in San Francisco, where every single woman is sharing experiences of trauma that they've received, <laughs> you know, at the hands of brothers and and fathers and boyfriends or whatever and robin had nothing to share nothing they she points out that she was like the last one to share anything yep. and so she finally just gets up there and says my father molested me uh and they go wow you're a bad bitch you you know i've never <laughs> she, heard a story like that she didn't even do that she waited until they were all gone and it was the person that was remaining the person that was the speaker or the moderator saw her crying supposedly and said what happened to you sweetie you know because first of all she had to have personal you know she had to have a personal connection to the person otherwise you know she's not that important she's just one of the crowd that was another element of self-aggrandizement and then she explained oh you're you know my father did this and then oh yeah you're a bad bitch you know you're one hell of a strong bitch that was the quote well okay she couldn't she didn't even have the guts to say oh uh my father used to uh bang me all the time it was crazy what happened i had an abortion after she just goes uh he tried something once over my underwear i bit his cheek and that was it he was scared of me for the rest of his life right um okay all right you're certain that that was intent his intent and so on she didn't even go with a crazy story it was just uh you know I, I mean, it's unforgivable if it was real, but yeah. not how could anyone say that was the worst act of trauma that they've heard? You know, especially right. after a weekend of right. Everybody in that room would have been like, "Hold my beer." Yeah, exactly. Yawn. Yeah. And Next. then and that and then go back to the Three house. Three from the judges. Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> and then go back to that house and act like queen shit after the military and have those same people take care of you, clean up after you, after you, after all that, you go back and act like a brat. Oh, You're not yeah. afraid. You're and not multiple afraid times. Of and that's why when Ben says too, like, I get so annoyed. People don't read the book. They just, you know, snap a picture of the cover and they say, oh, got this book. It's kind of like a cultural 90s thing. I feel like like any of Howard's books, her book, you just, you guys didn't read it. No, if you got the sign. As, as I you said, would be before, so embarrassed to have the book. Oh, yeah, that's as I, I said before, when when Robin was upset that Howard was leaving New York, 
from DC when they had only worked together for a year. Yeah. Um, by the way, he's only in Hartford for a year. Also, that's a mm-hmm. that's a career pattern for him. He's in he's in Detroit for ten months. It's not yep. like he's really establishing roots anywhere. And I don't know why he'd be calling the media constantly. They're like, "You're brand new to the market. Give us let, let us hear your show first before." <laughs> but anyway, and it's hard. You, he's got no press. Basically, I've looked on the archives. There's no basically no press when Howard for for in Connecticut. I mean, and you know if you read Robin's book, she admits she lied. She claims she lied about Howard being racist to um, a magazine, um, to Washingtonian magazine, I think it was, Mm -hmm. because they were splitting up and she was leaving and going back to – I think she was going to Pennsylvania or she was going back to Baltimore. And she gave him an interview with that magazine where she said Mm -hmm. Howard was racist. Now – that they, she never imagined they would work together again. And now that she's written her book, it's her time to say, you know what? I just wanted to hurt him because I was hurt. So I lied and I made up a story that now, if you have a track, an admitted track record of making up lies that could ruin people's lives, um, it, you know, calling someone a racist, you can ruin that person. Oh yeah. Um, even then, um, that if you're saying, well, I was hurt, I was angry, so therefore I made up a lie. Um, why wouldn't I then suspect you would do the same thing about your father when you've never shared this story until it's time to make money off this story with this book? Because without this story, there's nothing in this book worth paying for. No. No. But, but it, like, was, oh, it was funny. Being a stripper? <laughs> okay. Oh, wow. It was funny to discuss the pros and to, to, to like, talk about how she – everything. everybody was the, the, the aggressor and she was the poor victim, including her yeah. teacher who thought – who put her in the slow class and you yep. know the Air Force made me stay. And no, you voluntarily yes. stayed because you overspent because they overpaid you and you never thought yes. to look at your fucking pay stubs and figure out that this didn't add up, you stupid idiot. Next clip called – is it called – sorry, uh, guys, uh, Controversy What Howard gave Hartford, starting in early 1979, was a much tamer and far less bawdy version of the show that would turn him into a giant years later. Dresner and Nozzle encouraged him to use the phones to interact with his listeners. During a springtime period of gasoline shortages, Howard invited his audience to call in their reactions to a local chain letter urging people to fight back against the oil industry by making an example of Shell. The caller sounded so angry that before long, Howard took up the war cry, proclaimed, to hell with Shell, and advocated a two-day boycott of Shell products. Representatives of the oil company urged the station to call for gasoline conservation instead of a boycott, but Dresner allowed his morning man to sustain the heat. The drum beating got Howard news attention, and that lifted the 25-year-old disc jockey out of radio obscurity for the first time. Okay, Sam. This is very interesting because if you think about this call to do something socially, and you think about his whole stance after 9-11 of... Let's just go bomb people despite the repercussions. Like he's it's very different. So it just shows you like how I think little he has knowledge of what he calls to do and how willing people were back then to hear what they wanted to hear 
in order to um, say and do what they wanted to do. In a lot of ways, I feel like Howard is a great representative of the fleeting anger or the fleeting opinions of things with actually no common sense behind them. If you know what just, I'm saying, like they uh, unbridled rage, like uh, pure, yes, uh, he, un, yeah, just emotion. He's really yeah. great at channeling people with unbridled rage towards certain things of political wins and being able to capture that and sound like he has an understanding for that, but he yes. really doesn't. Right, right. Rage no, unfettered by had... un, rage unfettered by the chains of intelligence. I don't think he understood um, the situation with the gas back then. And first of all, it's funny that he that his claim to fame was reading a chain letter and right. asking people, what's your reaction to this chain letter? Mm-hmm. Now, I wouldn't be surprised when it says he advocated a two day boycott. I wouldn't be surprised if the caller suggested it and Howard Agreed. Right. And if, or if a caller said to Hell Shell, because by the way, it wasn't Shell specifically who no. was having the gas shortage. And I just found this so interesting because he hasn't said a word about gas. And we're right now in America having the, 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 the worst gas. But they compare it to back then, uh, the, the prices. And he, I don't know if it's because he has no idea uh, or because he's too afraid to say anything about gas prices now. But it's funny. But the thing that put him on the map, he won't speak about at all today. And I do believe he won't speak on it, too, because if you look and you can take a GPS map of any one of his mansions, there's no solar panels on those roofs. <laughs> no. He doesn't give a shit. <laughs> no. I mean, so it's his plane isn't py- powered by solar panels either. No, neither is his, neither are any one of his cars or neither is any one of his mansions. It's all ridiculous. So he won't speak on that. No. And if you actually put solar panels on that wig, just the size of that wig, you could actually, you know, power most of South Jersey. Um, I think that, uh, okay, the next part, I do have some section of the audio, but for some reason it's, uh, I think I might have... I think I might have noted it mistakenly, but the next part of the paragraph, seizing on a news story that medical schools were facing a shortage of bodies for research, Howard held a cadaverthon to recruit specimens. And in brackets, it says there were no there were no pledges. And this one. In the next page, in a routine that he would repeat in other cities, he was calling on he called on leading public officials to declare his birthday January twelfth, the holiday. Connecticut's governor, governor, and Hartford's mayor dismissed him, apparently failing to see the humor in the ridiculous request. However, after hearing Howard gripe about the brush offs, Dennis Shane, the enterprising press secretary for the state for state senator minority leader Joseph uh, I Lieb, Joe Lieberman. Uh, saw it as a playful way to obtain some favorable exposure for his boss. We really gilded the lily, uh, Shane recalled. An official official proclamation worded in florid language and signed by Lieberman declared that January 12th would be an important date for the rest of eternity. Shane delivered the document to Howard who and the disc doc, doc sorry my uh, guys i can't my reading shit today um and the disc jockey praised lieberman on the air lieberman who recognized the power of radio broadcasts long before many politicians was elected connecticut attorney general in 1982 and united states senator in 1988 so the january 12th yeah. the the 1112 thing has been now it's his corporation name he's always been hung up on a numerology and b himself anything regarding yeah. himself is is yeah. key 
Yeah, I will same. say living yeah. in New York, living in New York, um, Stern was always um, he he became ingrained in a lot of ways with politicians in New York mm-hmm. for a lot of years. And I remember this. And I also know that uh, how little effect now he has, because you see people through the you know, he had Cuomo on and then when Cuomo became dejected and taken off, you don't see Kathy Hochul going on Stern promoting no. herself. You don't see her. Um, you don't see him talking about the fact that her second lieutenant general, who is now reprimanded on charges and taken off the ballot. And so she had to get a congressman to be her second lieutenant he doesn't talk about any of that so he's pretty much what somebody who was so ingrained in this stuff like Giuliani or Pataki or Lieberman they're not he's not the voice and the pulse of this New York political movements anymore well I think after the Cuomo thing the the most political thing you'll hear from him is how hot Jen Psaki is that's as far Mm -hmm. as he's gone yeah he's been very quiet about her replacement that's right. And I, and I believe I believe that the Cuomo, like putting all his marbles, pardon the expression, behind Cuomo, he's afraid of backing the next person whose scandal is just around the corner. And that's why I don't think he talks about anybody anymore. It's all just COVID and whatever. Now, it could be as simple as he's just not interested anyway. Uh, there's no one cute enough in office for him to, to lust after. But uh, he's never been political anyway, which is what one reason why we don't bother talking about politics on where Stern is recall is is is, is involved because he's not he's a, he's a a pussy willow he literally bends with the wind i disagree with you i think he was political when it was advantageous and on a side that could mobilize but now that he doesn't have the reach anymore and i think he subconsciously knows that he will rarely do this, and when he does do this, he knows it's on the safe side of celebrity. And when he knows he's 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 saying something that's popular within the culture of celebrity, but he doesn't actually believe in what he's saying, or he's misinformed or uninformed, which is why he didn't say anything about Cuomo's replacement, and why he hasn't said anything about her second in charge being under indictment. He doesn't know or doesn't care. Well, the the when I say not political. I mean, he has no conviction in any one way, as long as, you know, in, in terms of being someone being true to what their core belief system is. Like, if you believe you're left wing, you're, you go left wing all the time. You leave your right wing, you go right wing all the time, etc. Or if yeah. you're centrist and you see both sides, you make that known. And I never understood the logic of not allow not allowing for during the uh, Trump Hillary uh, campaign why wouldn't you invite both of them to your show in separate days let's you literally say you could uh, why you can get you have puppet versions of them I guess yeah I mean like yeah. like I would if it were me I would say fuck have them both on because it'll right. just be it'll be huge and and the other thing you that, that way first of all you're not alienating your uh, your audience uh, or you shouldn't be anyway because most people if they're smart would say well yeah they both have a right to be on this show and that show and speak their piece it's campaign time that's normal so well, he, uh, he was afraid he also has very uh, he's got values that um that weigh in both directions Mm-hmm. You know, he yes. values abortion just as much as he values guns. And yep. those those usually are politically uh, opposite uh, takes, you know, values. Right. 
So right. and he and he straddles that line. And I don't think that's an act. I mean, I think he truly does love both of those things. Sure. Yeah. But fewer kids, the in, better. But it's enabled um, people from both sides to see in him things that reflect their values back at them. Right. So, yes. you know, conservative politicians would latch onto him and liberal politicians would latch onto him. So mm-hmm. it's, it's really weird how they've both turned to him for, um, you know, in the 90s, it was more conservative politicians who were calling in and talking to him. And mm-hmm. then later on, it became, you know, Cuomo and, and um, Hillary. The view. Oh, yeah. I mean, he is the view now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the next Perfect. one is called A Beetle Incarcerated. And this is, makes reference to uh, Paul McCartney, of course, getting uh, busted for weed possession in Japan when he and Wings were there touring. In January 1980, when Paul McCartney was arrested in Tokyo for possession of marijuana and jailed, Howard seized the opportunity to seek contact with the former Beatle and to protest his treatment to whomever else he could reach on the phone. So that's the that's page 49 for those of you following along. Um, and this net, one of the um, uh, Nozal has a little comment here where he talks about he, how he had balls. So here's the audio. He had balls. He wasn't afraid to try things, Nozzle said. In a world of homogenous morning shows, Howard began to stand out. And uh, the next clip, guys, if I'm not mistaken, is called Enter Nucus. So Fred Norris enters the picture, and this is uh, the establishment of their relationship together as such, as such as it was back then. Lacking a newsperson to play off, Howard brainstormed ideas for his four-hour program during nightly phone conversations with Nozzle. Howard also enlisted the help of a nighttime disc jockey at WCCC, Fred Norris. Norris had a facile way with voices that enabled him to impersonate celebrities, such as nasal-toned sportscaster Howard Cosell, when the morning man needed an extra player at short notice. He and Howard formed a creative bond that would endure all but continuously. Now, okay, first of all, Howard Cosell at that time was like the William Shatner or the, you know, Christopher Walken. of, uh, Yeah, like, honestly, you know, you couldn't, there was nobody who couldn't do a, a fucking Howard Cosell impression. Nothing to it. Um, right. And... The, and they're the, doing the, the SNL version of that impression. <laughs> Most likely, yeah. Because he was an, a, a devotee of, of SNL. But they both were, I suppose, at the time, although they might not admit it. And certainly later on when Howard said it sucked, it sucked, and how, Norm was the only good thing on it. Now he could not kiss Lorne Michaels and SNL's ass even – his mm-hmm. tongue is halfway up to their pancreas at this point. But – uh, so the whole point is uh, Fred was doing overnights, and when his shift was over, Howard was starting in the morning, and they, there would be a little overlap. So he'd be like a Billy West. He'd actually be – he was Billy West before there was Billy, coming in to do the odd voices, whatever, maybe to help him get started. But it was volunteer schlepping. It made me think, so this is where – one of the ways where Howard learned I don't have to fucking pay some people to do jobs for me. <laughs> You know, and help me out. And I think we established in earlier parts of this where he decided anybody can be on the air, a janitor, anybody, as long as I got someone else in here. He, I think very early on, he realized I need someone else on the air. It doesn't matter who it is, but I need somebody else because I can't do this by myself. Or it was informed to him by Ben Stern many times you, you can, you're bad on the air, you need to interact. And I think there will be a clip. Where Ben tells him, he gives him some praise. I've got that for for sure clip from the history of Howard Stern. 
So this one is called Norris Intel. Give me a sec, guys. While the pay was low and the hours were long, Stern admits there was one good thing about Hartford, meeting future radio partner Fred Norris. I grew up in a town called Manchester, Connecticut. It used to be uh, sort of suburban. Where I grew up was more farming, and now it's nothing but mall after mall after mall after mall. No offense, Manchester. You've really gone downhill. I wasn't allowed to watch TV. It's not because I was Amish. My brother was a, a terrible student. And uh, my mother had the brilliant idea. I don't know, there was no separate but equal in our household. It was like, since he sucked at school, we both had to study. So we watched no television at night. So when everybody was talking about Batman or talking about this, I was like, ugh. I had nothing to say about that. So instead, I read a lot of books, and there's been a lot made of all of the useless knowledge that I know. That's why I know it, because I had nothing else to do before I could discover, you know, masturbation or anything like that. Yep. Sam? I think this is, although it sounds stupid, it's telling, because Fred is often, you can tell he's smarter than Howard, but he uses him, and he's able to abuse him because of Fred's upbringing. Mm -hmm. And so Howard, like we've said, um, cultivates people and he, he gets them into their fold, like an Artie or a Fred. And he can smell their weakness and how he can puppet them to do what they want. And Fred, although maybe smarter, although maybe, you know, able to speak against some of the things that he does, he won't do it because he is a dog. Yeah, he's and a trained dog. Mm -hmm. I, I'm going to go further and say that Howard's attraction to Fred was that of an older man and of a certain persuasion with a mm -hmm. young, naive, backwards kid, because Fred was a college student at the time, Right, he was right. A uh, with nowhere to go after work, nothing to do. Mm -hmm. uh, c c flattered that the morning man was showing him attention, even though Howard was no morning man. I mean, he had no yeah. experience. Um, you think it so was a grooming? Uh, they they quickly started having sleepovers at Howard's house. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um. What you know? They're sharing hotel rooms. You know, not too long after that, but when Allison would go away, Fred would stay over. It's a very unusual. I mean, you know, you're in your mid twenties. It's not like, uh, yes. you know, the Hartford scene is so crazy. You want to go just crash <laughs> here afterwards? I mean, they were doing nothing. They were, yeah. Oh, you've never seen Batman? Let, allow me to introduce you to it. You know, they they didn't really have. So anyway, uh, this is my that's my take on it. That Howard's interest in him. I don't think Fred was an exceptional talent whatsoever. No. As you said, God, no. Howard Cosell, that is hack. Yeah, Richard right. Nixon. That's hack. Whatever those things that Fred was doing, uh, were the poor man's Dan Aykroyd. Yeah, and, I agree um, with you. Yeah, and so I, you know, I was thinking as much as I don't like Chris Wilding, as a on as an as an on air talent, he's far more talented than Fred is. I mean, he does voices much better than Fred does. He's much faster than Fred is. So, um, and I I would say that. Fred, even in his heyday, when he was the sound effects guy and that's about it, there was nothing more than Fred being offended and uh, passive aggressive um, and hostile. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but there was not there was not like you couldn't get a conversation out of him. It would be he would always be on guard about trying to make sure he seemed cool. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, so I'll, I'll, I don't like Chris Wilding. He's more talented than Fred is. And, and when Fred tries to nowadays show these young guys how it's done mm-hmm. via Ronnie Puppet or Bobo right. Puppet, it's embarrassing. It's, awful. it's embarrassing. I, it always was. Sam? Yeah, it's always I don't know was. if I don't know if he's more talented is if he's more. He's more inclined to go along with what the boss wants for everything is, and take it I to mean, the limit. He is, but I do think that he's – when it comes to voices, I think he's better at voices than Fred is. Well, and I think it's he's like, faster than Fred is. And I don't well, like if – you, If you notice, Fred and Wilding don't really interact, which is interesting. No, no, no. no. I, I always, if, I always wait for – when is Fred going to interact with Wilding? And I never really see it. And that always I think it's fascinates going to come, me. I think it's going to come when Wilding feels – when Wilding has his Rasan moment where he suddenly got truthful with Rasan and called him the C word a couple of times. Yeah. And Rasan was like, I'm going to slap you. And they got really – he goes, oh, physical violence, huh? Uh, let's, let me tell HR. I think yep. uh, Wilding will one day – Maybe lured there by Howard, start to say how he really feels about Fred's comedy, you know, that puppets. I mean, he might feel emboldened to, you know, with Ralph, uh, Fred's not that funny. And then you'll see the powder keg go off and Fred will say, you know. So you've noticed this, too. You've noticed this, too. Now that you pointed out, I noticed that they have not that they are invisible to one another. Yeah. Well. I'm gonna I'm gonna argue that there maybe by design because you only have you want content and it makes no sense to crowbar Fred into something that Wilding's doing when you can have one or the other cover more days as a result. Yeah, but yeah. but there was always some sort of interaction. And there is I've noticed pointedly they do not interact. When there's a wilding something and you know Fred was just on a uh, audio of something beforehand. They do not interact whatsoever. And I have always noticed this since the entire time of Wilding's life there. So mm-hmm. I'm, I always am taken aback by that and saying, why don't they interact at all? And like you well, said, let's... okay, maybe they don't need him, but I'm telling you, it's a boiling pot that someday, just like he said, it's going to come out and, I, I do think that there's some sort of animosity there and will explode at some well, point. Okay, well, I'm just going to say that there is precedence of Fred being incredibly upset, incredibly um, territorial, let's say, when it comes to just Jackie. When Jackie decided, okay, I want the credit to being a head writer, even though it meant no extra remuneration, it got stuck under Fred's craw the same way it stuck under his craw that John got a, a deal with Electra, I think it was, or Atlantic, maybe. I can't remember which one. Oh. But And, and got, a, got a record deal, and Fred was still toiling away with King Norris. I believe um, it's possible. You guys, are, you guys could be completely right. I tend to believe it's more like it's in the script. This is Wilding's day. This is Fred's day. This is and that's it's out of pure laziness. And if it does turn out that way, and you could be right, Ben, because if he he's in tow with, we know that they have interaction. Him and Ralph, Wilding and Ralph, that is, and Ralph yes. cannot. Chris, he, he uh, Howard, and, Howard and Chris too. Well, yeah. all the three with the no one three, else. The, the three of them do. It's like um, it's like uh, he's enlisting Boober to get the younger well, Boober. Y- well, you're, you're so following my theory that 
Howard the Spider saw in Fred uh, a guy he could yeah. lure into the web. Right. Don't you think that Fred, as a, a man who's uh, survived that, sees, wait a minute, you're doing to Wilding what you once did to me. You're laughing yes. at everything he says. You're saying he's the greatest. You're having sleepovers with him now. I mean, you know, ver- not ver- not literally, but you're spending alone time with him now. You're making him. I mean, if you had, you can take one, Howard. You can take Wilding with you or you can take Nor- Fred Norris with you. He's going to take younger. Wilding. Oh yeah, he only, well, he's going to go he'll... with younger, more willing to please, and dangling and, uh, a dangling a green card in front of his face. <laughs> more willing to please in every way imaginable. Oh yeah. The only thing I will say that might sully that, and we might not see the climactic expression of Norris from this, is the fact that he only has a few more years on the air based on the contract, and yeah. can he control himself to live it out? without exposing how he actually feels about this. And that's something to think about. I do think Fred's uh, in a position where he says, if I was to explode back I at go, Wilding, yeah. would I be guaranteed employment any longer? You know, th- it might be, you know what? We need to separate you guys. Fred who from now on, we can have somebody else play the commercials and Wilding does a kick-ass Ronnie puppet or whatever it might be. You know, anybody could mm-hmm. do the Ronnie voice. The Bobo thing sounds nothing like him. It's uh, so anyway, I, I think Fred in the same way that Fred and Robin are in agreement mode with Howard at all times, because what options do they have? If right. he decides, you know what? I don't really, I'm, I have this great young crew who I really hit it off with. I don't know if I need you guys anymore. Then what do they do? They have nothing. Right. Well, I will also add one last thing, and then we'll continue with the clip, that Fred has been making more and more mistakes the same way Robin was making mistakes with the news. And his audio fuck-ups have been bits now. and like They're not bits. Like He clearly has screwed up because he has a computer on one side of the room, and he has sound on another computer on the other side of the room. I don't understand why that has to happen unless he's just technologically inept with – you know, with computers and what have you, as opposed to, you know, putting eight tracks and into carts into this cart system, whatever. And so that could be, you know, that could be a situation because if Robin goes, the show will not end. If Fred goes, the show will not end. If Scott, the engineer, they let, if they let go of Scott, the engineer who knew every setting they needed, they could easily teach someone else what Scott knew and pay him half the price part time to do the job they need done for Howard's voice. So what I'm saying mm-hmm. is it can go either way. Like mm-hmm. Fred could be biding his time just till the end or yeah. he is biding is his doing. time till the end till he can explode yeah. and say something. And it has to do. So I really think it can go either way mm-hmm. for. Yeah, I hope he explodes of, in the form of a tell me all. Me Look, too. Oh, God. But, yeah. But um, I don't know that he would have the guts to do that. Uh, I mean, I really think it can go either way. And I think the wilding issue is one that can push it in either direction. Yeah. I'm so busy, so I read books. I had no idea what I was going to do. I started going to college. I hated it. I quit. I worked in a machine shop for a while. And uh, then after a couple of years of that, I said, boy, this is going nowhere fast. I went back to college to get into radio, and the rest is history. It is funny. Radio ends up being the... uh, last chance saloon for a lot of these people 
like Howard didn't know what he could do. I'll go into the school of broadcasting. He was a Robin. machinist, you know, right? Like Fred would have eventually been, I don't know, just blue collar, basically. Robin. He talks so blue collar. It drives me. It drives me nuts. When yeah. like he goes, uh, I says I should go to school. I hate the way Fred talks. He sounds like a rube. Every time he speaks, he always says stuff like, oh, I had to go take a squirt. It it drives me crazy how rubish he sounds when he talks. He, I think he sounds like a fool every time he opens his mouth. But well, could, when he yeah. says this stuff about machinists, it's like, oh, well, I didn't like that. So I went to this. No, machinists have to have some sort of talent and some sort of knowledge and acumen for it. So I don't believe he didn't like it. I don't believe he succeeded at it. Like yeah. being, yeah. he might have been sweeping up after the other machinists. <laughs> he right. might have been, yeah, yeah. History, indeed. Because he said, "I Fred's worked at a machine shop, not in... I was a machinist." Right. That's right. That's why I'm saying I don't think that he actually succeeded at that, and that's why he went back to school for radio. I don't think it was because he didn't like it. I right. think he wasn't good at it. It was less tool and die, and more just die. Radio was at WCCC in Hartford as the overnight DJ. My show is basically doing what the program director wanted, which is play the hits, don't yak too long, don't play anything that's off the playlist, and uh, make sure the first thing out of your mouth is the call letters, and the last thing out of your mouth is the call letters. You know, you're listening to the Moody Blues on WCCC and WCCC FM, Hartford. Fellow CCC disc jockey Brian Battles. Fred worked at the station first. He was a part and I got to know Fred when I got hired as a part-timer. This was probably like 79. And then the morning guy, Roscoe, left to go to DRC. And Bill Nozzle was the program to this guy hired me. He said, we're going to try to find some, you know, Joe Morning Man type guy. And I was like, yeah, that's fine, you know. So after a few months, they said they had this guy coming up from Briarcliff Manor, the RNW in Westchester. I'm like, you know, something never even heard of. It was a little rinky dink teapot station. That's what everybody came from. You know? So they brought him in, and, you know, he was nobody. He was another guy, another radio guy. You know. Whether it was fate, destiny, or just dumb luck, Howard Stern met Fred Norris one morning during their first shift change. Okay, we're going to go right into that. It's called Fred Can't Keep Wiggy or the Dollars Straight. It wasn't any kind of like a ground-shaking event or anything like that. It was just he just seemed like a nice guy coming in the room trying to do a job, you know. And obviously he was a very talented guy. You could just tell by the way he approached things, <laughs> the way he spoke on the air, the way he tried to like structure bits and whatnot. He was more than just the average radio guy. I mean, most of the average radio people would just walk in, punch their clock, and go like Led Zeppelin on WCCC, and that was it. You know, he came in, he put his heart and soul into something for like a hundred. $150 a week. I think had they paid him $180 a week, he'd still be in Hartford, but we know how that ended up. How can you say, oh, I think he was beyond average because he just didn't give the taglines? How, how, how does that mean you know he's special? I think that's such a fucking farce. Ben, and I know you're, you're saying it's revisionist history on Fred to the extreme. Not, not only that, but... Like Robin, Fred has zero radio experience. He's yep. only worked part time at this station for he, this, 1979. That's when Howard joined. Right. So right. he and how many morning men did you interact with in that time, Fred? There was Roscoe, and then there's Howard. And yet you feel comfortable saying most radio guys, you know, they just come in and they do. You have no idea what most radio guys do. You you've got zero experience, and you're hey. doing the revisionist thing. And exactly, that's exactly right, Ben, because he said 
too, that his parents were the type of people that didn't allow them to watch media or do things after a certain time at night. So then how would he even know what is popular if your fucking television is shut off at 5 p.m.? If your radio is shut off by 6 p.m. and you're reading all these books, how would you even fucking know? Well, the history of Howard Stern is good for a lot of things, but the worst aspects of it almost always come from Howard and Fred uh, and to some extent even Jackie because they whitewash or they outright lie about certain things. You really do need the history of Howard Stern for the friends and family and especially Ben Stern who doesn't pull any punches about anything when you do hear his segments on the various um, incarnations of this one. So I would say the difference when he's talking about this, even though it's not correct, and he doesn't have an actual background of saying this is what sets him apart. It's because I believe Howard is set apart from the other DJs because he took a predatory interest in Fred, not because his talent outshined everybody else and Fred had some sort of acumen for understanding why he's different and better than everyone else. No, it's because Howard was predatory towards Mm. Fred and that made him special in Fred's eyes. Hold on. Hold on for one sec. Uh, I have to see if I have the exact audio and I'm going to try to cue it up. Uh, if I can get, just give me a moment, you guys can just banter or whatever. I'm just going to try to mm-hmm. find it because uh, James uh, Santiago found me the original clip of him. I always got that vibe that he was a little homo. Um, and uh, ben, I know I would, you agree, would, would you agree with me? Of course. Yeah. Thank I mean, you. if you're talking, if you're talking, you know, I just finished reading a story from my job about this ballerina in Boston who was working, uh, who had, she was 18 years old, just like mm-hmm. Fred, you know, young person gets, um, on the radar of this star ballerina who's there. And, uh, suddenly the star ballerina is like saying, Oh, you got to come and hang out with my boyfriend and me. And over time they bring her into their life and they begin grooming her. They start the, the, they get, they get her a little, the, Girl gets her alone and says, oh, you know, my boyfriend or my I don't know if that was husband. Anyway, he was abused as a kid. And so oh. it's very hard for him to open up to people. And then the next thing you know, um, they're left alone. The boy, the boyfriend and this 18 year old girl. And he's saying how he's in love with her. And the next thing he's touching her under the blanket. And the next thing there, he's got control of her phone. And at a certain point, this girl who was homeschooled and loved her parents and everything was brainwashed by this couple into don't answer the phone when your parents call they're they're trying to or you know like why did you tell this person this in your text because he's reading every text and anyway you see that this person who was um starstruck and couldn't believe it was just actually just one of many of these girls who this couple has done this to i mean there's this new york times has written about this story now so anyway Grooming is a real thing, and you know they yes. they really do the flattery, 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 um, making you feel seen for the first time ever, recognized for the first time ever as brilliant as you know I'm the first one to recognize you. No one else ever would. You know I'm I'm of course speculating some of this stuff, but given Howard and his uh, the fact that I know Howard very well is through the radio um, over the years. And the way that I think he works, that's that is exactly what I think happened. 
into help or into aid our sort of case against uh, the case against Howard. So against for Howard being a little bit uh, of a putzoglifti. Um, and a groomer. Got, and a groomer, absolutely. Um, Sam has put together her sleuthing skills once again and found the uh, channel where we can get this from. And so this is the um, them talking about how socially awkward Fred was, but then it goes a little into the rainbow side of things. So here we go. I mean, I remember Fred, Fred and I used to rap about it all the time, and it just he just what said did that, he he, say? that he just didn't have the opportunity to meet women. Oh, okay. Right. Fred, is that true? You didn't have sex for two years? It seemed like a long time. Yeah, it was about to really? Because I thought Fred was a homo. And I st- my mother wanted to set him up with one of my cousins. I felt so bad for him. Well, I was sure Fred was a homo. You know, because everyone always says to me, geez, Robin, a lesbian. I never thought you were a lesbian. Honestly, <laughs> I swear. I always thought Fred was a homo. Because, yeah. And I used to test him. One night, mm-hmm. I, re- I was in a hotel room, and I said, Fred, let's share a room. And Fred... That's your room. Wasn't it a bed? No, no it was a room, Robin. Let's take it easy over there. Come on. I am not attracted to Fred. <laughs> not much. <laughs> Who can resist him? I shared a room with Fred once. I never thought... Well, in those days, Fred used to smell like coffee. I'm um, thinking this is a clip that we should probably pause often to comment on. This is but very interesting, isn't Howard it? Howard revealing that he always thought Fred was gay goes back to my initial theory that Howard saw something in Fred very early on. That forget that he's a Dan Aykroyd impersonator. In fact, I was just looking at Miss America here uh, as we were looking that clip up and found the Fred chapter where – so he says, Fred idolized Dan Aykroyd. Fred would do not only impressions of Aykroyd but also impressions of Aykroyd doing impressions. But I really wanted to do – wanted to recall the – homophobic stuff that's in here about Fred. Yeah. So he talks about being pee shy and he, how he went to a, a urinal next to Fred and he was pee shy. Then he looked down and Fred pulling out his massive Latvian uncircumcised hillbilly cock. Um, <gasps> so then he, he later on says that um, he talks about the gay rich thing. Remember with the, the when, when yes. Fred's bachelor party and Fred yeah, gets injured, sure. he sure. has to go to the hospital. He says, Gay Rich was kissing Fred on the cheek and Fred was stroking his back. I couldn't believe my eyes. The world's biggest homophobe was petting with the gayest guy alive. I'm convinced that Fred was so shocked to discover that he really was gay that he tried to kill himself. Pure Actually, Fred, and then he just throws in this. Actually, Fred is definitely not gay. <laughs> that's See, what a stupid thing to just throw in. Uh, that's like saying, by the way, that wasn't the real Donald Trump who just called in. That was an imper- we know it's not the real Donald Trump. Anyway, go ahead. This is all this is all projection and also playing upon his psychological trauma of a child being abused and and then projecting gayness onto that and mm-hmm. and also causing the situations, being drunk, being high, being whatever, and having a bunch of gay men around you, stripping mm-hmm. for you, the, dancing yeah, on your had laps. Gay, rich you created his little thong. this. Yeah. Yes. yeah. And, and, you know, going from, I think you're gay, and we're about to hear what Howard does to prove that he's gay, to, oh, really? You're the world's biggest homophobe. So now you've put the, position, the guy in a position to go, I'm not a homophobe. It's, it's uh, a tactic. Mm-hmm. And he also see how he said there, he goes, I tested it out throughout mm-hmm. time. Why are you testing out if somebody's gay? If not mm-hmm. f- for what? 
For what? Because what would you yeah. do? Here, here like, he why is are, being why Bruce Banner, experimenting on himself, <laughs> using it's, himself it's like, as the uh, the pawn. It's not testing out, like saying, you know, are you a are you a commie or something? I mean, this is just bizarre to me. Like, are you? Why are you testing out if somebody's gay? And how? What are what are the uh, what are the tactics for this test? How would you know? Why are you doing this to make yourself seem more heterosexual? I mean, at the time, I'm sure that's how it came across, but it really yeah. is questionable now. Like, why are you doing this exactly? It, it, you're not testing to see if he's gay. You're testing to see if he's gay for you. That's right. So, right. You know, you, you could send, you could find the hottest gay guy and go see if Fred responds. But no, exactly. you go. I need to know if it's me he's into. Why are you enticing? And him? what would have happened had With, Platt Howard's theory been proven correct? Which, by the way, wait, the test that he puts out for Fred. This is exactly why when somebody pointed out about him in KC and how he talked about KC at the pool and noticing that the first mm -hmm. thing. So those mm -hmm. same, same markers for how you're testing for how somebody's gay, you're imploring yeah. for your own people did that for you, Howard, and they mm -hmm. came across the same conclusions. So then that's not, that's not okay anymore. Ben, Ben, I was wondering if you noticed Howard's rocking the well-met hair here and the uh, year oh, yeah. hair. It's almost oh, exactly yeah, the is. same. So yeah. he's yeah. going back to well-met. Coffee because he drank way too and much. So he looks like underdog lady right coffee. there. Yeah. He used to have a really stinky breath. Yeah. You don't drink coffee anymore, do you? I do, but uh, yeah, not as much. Oh. He used to be obsessive about it. That coffee right. cup was never. Well, you know why? His yeah. dad drinks a lot of coffee. Mm. Definitely. You also notice too, Robin. She was just that he goes. I'm convinced you're not a lesbian or whatever. You see her get almost from you know a little bit fluid in her body to almost stoic, straight back, face forward. She her body language completely changes once he says that, which is interesting to me, because I think that Robin does have a sexual fluidity that is not often discussed. And I think her relationships are often bearded as well. So there's loads have you of ever seen a group like. Go ahead. Sorry. sorry. There, there's there's loads of people who believe the that Robin is at very least bisexual. Then there's a few others that think she's asexual. Like it's just about she's too much about herself to give to anybody of any sex or any, you know, any persuasion. So and I, and I seem to fall like I, I think she's she could be bi. Absolutely. I think. Um, but I, I'll, I guess we'll never know. Have you ever seen a group? Where you go, I'm not sure about anyone's sex in this, yeah. uh, about their sexuality. They're right. all mysterious. I mean, let, you know, not As even adults. Ralph in this group. I mean, Jackie was not. You would you would never think. Uh, I think Jackie might be gay. No, not you. Never think that. Or, or Gary. I never thought oh, he might be. Or Artie. But this crew, the crew who Howard's been dragging along with him forever, you just go. There is something not right about this particular crew. But, uh, you know, Fred putting up the walls and being on the defensive and you know, every, everybody wondered about his sexuality, mm -hmm. um, and the, which is what kicks this off. Going back to Howard saying back in D.C., I had to test it. Anyway, we, uh, we can continue listening. Yeah. 
He does everything his he dad He did does. everything his dad did. Yeah. That's true. My dad loves coffee. If his dad wore a coat, he wore that. Yeah, right. I'm right. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you know what's really cool when you went to Fred's book? See, pa- Fred's book is the opposite of yours. <laughs> <laughs> Fred did everything his father did. Oh. <laughs> so anyway, um, I was convinced Fred was a homo because I knew some good-looking girls who wanted him, and Fred yeah. wasn't even reacting. Remember that one girl who hung around with Fred and hung, and listened to him play that silly guitar uh-huh. And she thought he was singing night. to her? Now, she was nice. Come on. <laughs> she was a piece of it. Ass. She was a piece of ass in Washington. Washington. Very nice. A piece of ass. Is this the black woman? Yeah. Yeah. And she hung around, I mean, hours. She was like, Robin, well, we just talked and talked. And she didn't know Fred would just talk and talk. I would have taken this girl and given her a workout like you wouldn't. But this girl was throwing herself. She was like pressing her lips up against Fred, she doing was, anything. She has a body of a Barbie doll. And you never asked him about it? It's just... Uh, listen. Oh, we you, asked him all the time. You try to talk to Fred about stuff. No, but I don't mean you and Robin. I mean, you ever say, hey, you're hitting on her? Yeah, we would say. Uh, well, I mean, you and and what would Fred, Fred had a rule, remember? He says, I don't date people I work with. That's oh, right. You don't crap where you eat. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. But meanwhile, I wasn't dating anybody, and the guy hadn't had sex. So I said, okay, the guy's a homo. So one night, we're in a hotel room, and uh, we're in the room, and I'm getting ready for bed, and I, uh, you know, I have my pants off, and so I'm walking around in my underwear, brushing my teeth. Baiting the trap. Yeah, baiting him, you know, because, you know, my body will really turn a guy on. And uh, like Fred, Fred got into a corner. And like literally, just like he was. I remember he got changed really super fast. Like the way you get changed in gym class in fifth grade. Yeah. What? Do you- See this, this trap that he's supposedly setting. First of all, if it was this many years ago, and you're bringing it up now, why is it a trap? To me, that sounds like this is just a trap that you wanted to set, that you wanted to fulfill a sexual encounter with that didn't happen, and now you're using it as a method of saying it's a trap. It's not a trap. It's something that didn't work out for you because you 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 were baiting him literally, and it didn't work. I have to say, if I think my friend is gay, then I'm saying, you know what, let's have separate rooms. Not, oh, I'll figure it out by trying yes. to, to lure him into my bed with me. I mean, what what would have happened? When would Howard have been satisfied that, oh, yeah, I was right about you? I mean, really, what, what were you would, hoping yeah, if he would Yeah, if he would have bit the tr- – if he would have bit <laughs> what was coming yeah. from what would have happened? Yeah, if he had taken would you the guys bait, have if he had taken each bait. other, fucked each other, yes. like what would have happened yeah, if well, he would have taken the bait? That's the problem with a lot of these stories is that they're told in a way that you're supposed to just be focused on the comedy when you really want to go, wait, hold on. Would you you want them to to not turn to, to not treat everything as a joke? I mean, right. And Jackie starts to do every now and then. A Robin every now and then will go. I thought you shared the same bed, or I thought you should. The, so they'll try to, but then you know they'll make it into a joke. But um, she he Howard? did say Howard. I don't date yeah. people at work. Do you, right. Can you do you picking up on that Howard? I don't date yeah. people at work. Right. Well, his his out, his only out in this story leads to a cul-de-sac. So that's the problem when you have a situation like this and it's structured as such. And I want to remind our listeners, language is important. If you listen to the episode on Patreon that Kayla and I covered involving, um, you know, Howard and the Mad Terror, or I think it might have been Sam and I covered a little bit of this, a different Mad Terror segment as well. The word he and Robin both used in this wrap-up segment from 2006 was 
tryouts, the girls I had a tryout with, I gave a tryout to, you don't use the word tryout for relationships. Mm-hmm. The same, unless you're, you, you use tryout, I want to try out a used car to see if it, how it runs. I want to mm-hmm. try out this, you know, this fucking, uh, I don't know, pair of shoes. You don't try on or try out girlfriends. You try out yeah. beards. That's, yeah, but, that's right. key. But see how he's saying, I thought or I had an inkling he was gay because he had some sort of precedent for not fucking women that he might be working with, which actually makes sense. So Howard's digesting this information and he's now flaunting himself in a way that, okay, you're testing, you're saying, but what if that test were to lead with the actual culmination of yeah. something that say, is a Sam, relationship this is, this is, this or a sexual six years thing. Ago. So, so, this is six years ago. You're working for Harvey, Harvey Weinstein. And you go, yeah. I right. think I think he's a sexual predator. I know how I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to share a hotel room with him. Right. I'm going to strip down to my underwear, walk around backwards into a cage and see if he jumps into that cage with me. That's what Howard's trying to do. So yeah, I know. Uh, it, it's... Um, yeah, it's not just it's not just curiosity. And I don't think so. Way, no, in the way he's making it and sound you know, like this it's supposed Howard, to make Fred sound bad. It doesn't. Howard has his history, too, of of jerking off his buddies. So um, <laughs> being asked remember. to jerk off, like being asked to reciprocate. He also you know, has uh, a history yeah. of during the divorce where he has fucking men on the property who supposedly saw him getting shaved slash blown that could yeah. have been and you know Ralph. he was he was he invented grooming in some ways his mother gave him playboy and it was like oh my god this lures people over to my house and they jerk yep. off in front of me there I've never. I mean, it's the greatest gift. I mean, he learned at a very young age and I'm surprised that playboys weren't involved with this like he wasn't saying hey Fred I brought us some Playboys. Why don't you take a look? Um, he learned at a very young age the sexual power of hot women over men. But, and but he was he, able to see his buddies jerk off, uh, jerk off his buddies by introducing them to these naked women. And then, he, you know, he, of course, made a career out of it later on. He, he missed that with certain people, but he did pick up on that when he had Casey and Ralph over and watching tranny porn. Mm hmm. Oh, is that yep. right? I forgot about that. We, and then we covered Casey that ends up with uh, Casey ends up with uh, a transgendered person. Yes, yes. that's right. But, you know, so see, <laughs> guess it works. But he did was he got into the corner, he pulled his pants and his shirt off real fast. He was wearing boxer shorts and he quickly jumped into the bed. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like so well, I wouldn't see how excited you were. Getting. So I said, man. I said, what's his story? I Why said, did you do that, Fred? Did you think he might be interested in you? You want to know something? I always picked up a vibe from him that he was slightly homo. Oh, yes. That's a liar. I swear yeah. to God. See? And what's his defense every time? I'm a married, I'm a married man. man. And, how, and how often does he say... When when he talks about why we should all love homosexuals, he goes, look at how all these married men end up with women. They make them miserable. So you acknowledge that you can be gay and married to a woman. Yep. Um, except when it comes to you. Oh, it couldn't possibly be. I'm, I'm a married man. And see how Fred picks up on and he says, I always had this vibe that he was. So he didn't take 
the fucking meat in the trap. Mm. He did not (laughs) do what Howard, the fucking groomer, wanted him to do. And this says so much about Howard, not Fred. Well, well, of course. Look, look, when Howard tries to set the trap and he sees that Fred goes over in the corner with his back to Howard and quickly changes, Howard's reaction is, oh, man, what's his problem? Right. Well, he's not gay or he's not into you anyway. Why are you disappointed? You know, why are you like, (laughs) you know, you're looking down on him for not. He's looking down on him for not being gay. Yes. How dare you not want some of my schnitzel? What's your problem? You're insane. I'll tell you the truth. When I started on this show and you guys used to do your your homo thing, I always thought you two were way too good at it. Look at Jackie's serious expression. You really getting into it? I'm not kidding. Is this the like the emperor's? Is this like right in my face? And, and these two are screaming homos, and I oh, can't see how it happened. You two were so believable. Uh, I right. These two are really in love. I can tell you these. Right. Okay, so this is not something Jackie's going to entertain, even when we tried to interview. When we interviewed him, it was tough, but he was. I, I knew not to go down that road because he would have just poo pooed it immediately instead of saying instead. And even if we had played him the clip. He wouldn't have he wouldn't have wanted to comment on it. Jackie, by the way, Fillmore, when we interviewed him, you can tell there's this Munchausen syndrome, absolute robotic playback in his head of how he sees events that Mm -hmm. is almost programmed into his brain of how he has to say things. Now, a lot of things we did get him to talk about, honestly, but quickly, quickly, if he says anything off the cuff. Or, you know, suddenly it sounds like something that could be nuanced. He immediately goes back to the programming. That's right. And so even though Jackie does have this sense, he is so programmed by Mm -hmm. what he went through that he will not he won't cover it. It's like an old man telling war stories on the on the Carson show, like an old comic telling the, like George Burns going on the Carson show. You've heard every joke in every appearance they've ever done. They've put it in their books. They're probably in a couple movies and some, you know, it's it's no different. But when the narrative and I, guys, I apologize if we're harping on this a little too much with this. The podcast takes turns and eddies and stuff like that. I mean, it really flows all sorts of ways. But in this particular case, I don't think there's a lot of ambiguity left to the imagination. I yep. think it's quite obvious what, what mm-hmm. this was. You know, consider the the gay characters that Fred and Howard used to do. Yeah. Um, now, but, but, but just, you know, they mentioned it. Gary, Jackie says, I used to see you guys do it all the time. Think, are they being serious here? But consider the context that you now know. Mm-hmm. Howard thought secretly that Fred was gay. Fred thought secretly that Howard was gay. And one of them said, let's both of us pretend to be gay and come on to each other on the air. That's grooming stuff where you're like, let's do this as a joke. joke." And that is uh, so important. Yeah, because why don't we kiss each other as a joke? Fred, Fred is not going on stage with King Norris in a dress. Um, you know, Jackie's not going to book signings, you know, dressed like, you know, uh, dressed oh, like you know what? I don't know, they, Rip Taylor. You know where they did go? You know where they did go in a dress to the Miss America uh, photo shoot? But yes, I've got the video. I've got I've got video yes. of it that but I'm they all with had to dress in drag because Howard decided he looked, that his parents- he looked so comfortable and thrilled. I have never seen him 
look more thrilled in my fucking life. So I was just talking about the Miss America photo shoot. And as a tangent, I was about to say, Howard's father never called him Miss America. It was Mr. America. But for some reason, Howard decided it's Miss America now. And as a result, I need to be in drag. And so do you boys. And uh, even you, Robin, you have to be in drag. And it was it, it, it in the 90s. It was weird because it was he had a he had a fascination with trans if they were hot. Um, Tula, you remember yep. Tula? Oh, yes, we do. And, the whole show on. And then, yeah, and then he, do you guys remember, somebody was taken, I think it was a bachelor party where they ended up going to an all trans or all drag restaurant back in the 90s. And I think it was Scott Einzinger's bachelor party, perhaps, or um, to Pace, maybe. I don't remember, but I, and I have not heard it since the 90s. And okay. I only recently remembered it because of all the trans stuff. But anyway, Howard was insisting that you're gay because you, you found this person attractive who is, uh, actually a man posing as a woman right now. I mean, who is his hottest actress? It's, it's Hunter. What is it? Hunter, Hunter Schaefer from Euphoria. Yeah. It's, it's the trans person. I mean, everybody jazz before she put on weight. (laughs) Right. Right. Um, so anyway, it's, uh, it is fascinating when you look back and see that he was urging all of it, let's all dress as women, not just me. Right. Let's all do it. And it'll be funny. And what you're going to see, guys, before we go into it, everybody else seems to be mugging for the camera. They're all looking. They're all they're doing what guys would do if they had to dress up in drag. They're like they're doing in a, like a, what a truck driver would do if he had to dress like that. And he's like, oh, look at this. Oh, wow. How goofy is this? Howard looks yeah. like he could not be any happier that he's being made up by a bunch of trans. Uh, sorry. Uh, and more com- and more comfortable because if yes. you watched him with the tool interview when he dresses Helen Stern oh yes and he interviewed mm. her he his body language which says a lot about how comfortable he is because mm-hmm. if you see him in interviews whether he's dressed in grunge during Letterman or in tuxedos for America's Got Talent he is not comfortable but if you right. watch him as a woman his body language is like a golden girl. He's very comfortable. Right. And he's not doing that because he's, quote, comfortable in his sexuality. He's comfortable no. in the adopted sexuality for the purposes yes. of that show. It makes him very, and, you know, his body I, I was becomes saying, very fluid. I was saying and, to you for earlier, Fillmore, that I enjoy, I enjoy whenever he talks to George Takei and Brad mm-hmm. because he's at his most comfortable talking to them. You know, yep. he he wants to hear Every story. He's telling George, I thought the story you told about seeing that underage boy's ass crack when you were underage was the greatest story. And why shouldn't we? And you go, you heard the clip. It got uncomfortable, you know, as George, as an 80 year old or whatever his age is, is remembering the backside of a nine year old. Um It felt very uncomfortable. So anyway, but Howard is himself very comfortable whenever he's talking to i mean you know he cannot praise gay people enough he always reminds us we have to give them extra handshakes and hugs 
within he does that but he also with george he does this thing where the gay old sex the wrestling the stuff he wants to believe Mm -hmm. that there is still a possibility out there for him to be able to have this life because look at george takei and so he relishes in george takei's sexual encounters with brad as of like an old gay man because he thinks that someday it's possible for him yeah it's an outlet yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's. So we're gonna play this, and then we're gonna wrap it up, guys. And then the draft. Okay. And then, right. It's attitude. It's about one man. Uh, one man. Yeah. We have to show our feminine side. This foundation actually was. Sam. Just do you even see this? We have to show our feminine side. And you mm-hmm. see his hand motion and how he is. There, there is something instinctual about your body and about your rhetoric, about how you speak when you are truly yourself. And you see this with him when he goes into trans mode. What th- you got? He's got probably I don't know thirty, maybe twenty five Letterman appearances under his belt before Letterman retired. He's never more comfortable than he was when he was dressed up. Oh, as, yeah. in drag and then lifting. And up when he's his up on that show his, desk, yep, yeah, oh. that, yep. that's Howard. Originally, it should have been formulated for um, Vern and Scar Victim. I don't think I'd pick myself up at a bar. I feel very sexy. <laughs> <laughs> Which way to the bar? Oh, John Wayne, Fred, you really are a talent. Do it. Now we're putting on my breath. Our breath. And it's a very private matter. Thank you. It's a little weird, isn't it, to be acting all gay when you're with a gay guy and you're acting like all prissy and stuff? These guys are actually gay. Do they mind that you're mocking them? That's what I wonder. Like, is it? But I mean, for them, it's exposure. I guess they figure, what the hell? It's not a big deal. Um, and this particular, um, this particular video, I'd only seen. I know it was on the air as as a feature back in the day, but I only saw it as part of a Howard TV um, collective on this other video, where this uh, the person who well, does the stuff for them comes in as judge on a you know get, uh, one of those evaluation videos. I know from going to drag bars throughout my whole youth and childhood and stuff like people, not childhood, but like you know, <laughs> adu- young, adu- young adult hug, like 18 year old to up going right. to bars. They would like to pull straight people up on stage to humiliate them. Like that was fun for okay. them. You know, making them uncomfortable was fun for the scene. And it was, it was funny, like pulling up an Abercrombie boy who just got dragged in by his girlfriend and there's a drag show going on. The drag queen would like to humiliate the Abercrombie kid. It was just the mm-hmm. way it went. Yeah. Oh. Scott is absolutely hideous. <laughs> That's true. I look like my mother. Sex pot. I tell you, he's got some nice knockers. I want a simple hairdo. <laughs> oh my god! You know, I, I, you know, I, these guys have to be going. I don't get. What's that sound? Uh, 
they have to be going, I don't get the gag here. We're all in drag for what reason? Yeah. I mean, Why is this psychologically, yeah, psychologically, you know, there's, there's a photo in Mess America. I've used it a few times online of Ben Stern in drag when Howard was mm-hmm. a young boy. Mm-hmm. And Howard would see his father walking around with the hairy chest and in a bathing suit dressed as a woman because it was a gag for Ben Stern to play the woman role in a lot of the um, Jewish Temple. community theater stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So they, because he was tall and had the deep voice. And so it was a joke. Yeah, but completely a joke. I, you know, you, any psychiatrist would look at that, I would say, and go, you're completely obsessed with men dressing as women and and believe they can become women and so on. And your father did this when you were a kid and you don't think you, you call yourself Miss America, even though he never called you that. You don't think there's a connection in the father hunger you say you have and so on. Uh, I would I would argue that the real purpose for this beyond the insert, because who cares about the fucking insert of a book? But I guess he wanted to make that particular book so visual because there's so little actual content in yeah, it. Yeah, that's true. Uh, and so it's almost like looking at a big board book or a coloring book. But um, mm-hmm. the reason, real reason for this was for him to have it in his spank bank. I want all my staff, all the guys as women mm-hmm. like me, I want to be able to whack off to this in my private time because he'll have all the proofs. He'll have the video footage. And mm-hmm. he can put it on a loop in his, you know, his his whatever bathhouse. And if people want to say we're being conspiratorial, well, it, you don't have to agree with us. But you know, it's it, like you judge for yourself. He's the one and, you here know, looks most at ease, aside from Jackie, it, who's such an old hippie. He, I'm sure he wouldn't give a fuck about anything. And you know, the camera, if the camera pans and shows his coworkers dresses women. And he's in the background doing his thing. The, it ends on his father dressed as a woman because he's so dark that he's even got that pinned up in the spank bank. Yep. Sam? This is just, I think, interesting in the sense of, like you said, there was nothing in Miss America. There was very little content. It was a lot of photos. A lot of comics that were sick. Yes. Sick, sexual sexually depraved, disgusting content. And this goes in line with the shock and awe thing of what I think he was going for. But it came up bizarre. And it was very, it was not really discussed how bizarre it was. Yeah, Mm -hmm. similar to, it is is a bizarre book. And, you know, revisiting it with the hate, hate mindset that I now have, I do find it to be a valuable book. It's got, I mean, it's lo- largely filler. Very. And and I've, I've pointed out before all the ways they've cheated in order to make it seem bigger than private parts, and that includes Big bigger typography, bigger margins, smaller pages, lots bigger of photos, ta- yeah. repeated. Font. And yeah, you're getting f- much fewer words per page. And, you know, you're th- anyway, and it was just scraps from. So anyway, the, this book's selling point was I conquered OCD that no one actually knew I was battling. Right. Not that G-A-Y. has nothing. And so to promote it, I'll dress as a woman. Yeah, it's very it's not unlike Robin saying I'll be a I'll be Rocky to promote my book. It's right. very it's very National Enquirer-esque type <laughs> of I mean, you might as well put in alien. Yeah. Walking amongst us or Bigfoot. It's that bizarre. And mm-hmm. I don't know why his parents said, but we never called you Miss America. We called you oh. Mr. America. Every single time you tell the story, you go as your father, you go, oh, it's Mr. America coming. You, We never called you Miss. 
I think is wishful thinking. He wanted yeah. to be Miss America and still yeah. does. Oh, yeah. Honey West, you should have called this book. But look at that. All the guys are goofing off, and yeah. Howard's being very serious. Look at him perk up, showing interest in Gary. I'm sorry, Ben. Mm. I said, look at him perking up suddenly and showing interest in Gary. He lights up. It mm -hmm. really is this. And by the way, this is also embedded in, and it came from, the infomercial that they did for Miss America. The book we Miss America. We covered that. Learn it. Like tell the other girls, be like, learn it. That means on the on the fear to see. Learn it. Look at I would have remembered this. Learn it. <laughs> learn it. I could die in these shoes. <laughs> Now, I know Billy's in there, but I don't think they focus on him a lot. And that's by that's deliberate. They must have edited him out in post because obviously he was no longer on the show. And they by the time this by the time this particular episode was released, not this old footage being put in, they edited him out even further, which is really just stupid. Oh. greatest legs <laughs> by the way guy, men have cellulite their muscle and the way their fats distributed is so different than women's so that's why they don't have cellulite usually and they have the greatest legs so i do i do believe that them uh like that must that be painful as hell for people not used to wearing stilettos <laughs> <laughs> i can only imagine what you women go through at the end of the day if you're wearing those those heels so Mark, i'm gonna send you oh my god okay do we need that okay we'll leave that alone Guys, we didn't even make it. We scratched the surface of Hartford, but uh, we think you're going to find this one um, uh, enjoyable anyway on some level. So thank you, Ben, and thank you, Sam, so much uh, for tagging along for this particular um, part seven. Uh, any closing thoughts, uh, Sam, before we wrap it up? Oh, just, you know, so... <laughs> So grateful you all are here. <laughs> <laughs> Keep your garters tight. Uh, ben, uh -huh. any closing thoughts? Uh, just the, in the in the movie version of this, this is the place where Howard learns to be honest with his audience at all times. Remember, he <laughs> reads a commercial and goes, you know, I used to go here all the time as a kid. And, oh, they're having their grand opening. You know what? I will never again lie to my audience. And Hartford is where the B-movie actress is so taken with Hartford radio star Howard Stern that she tries to seduce him and Fred in the bathtub together. 
And of course, oh, no. yes. I think also, too, it's really notable just how Howard treated Fred in these homosexual tests. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, And that's about it, guys. We love you. Thank you, guys. Take care. Stay safe. Enjoy your summer. And we got lots more content. Yeah, enjoy your summer. (laughs) (laughs) After you've you've heard someone seen some of the video footage (laughs) that may be problematic, (laughs) enjoy you guys. Enjoy yourselves and uh, stay safe wherever you are. We love you. Take care. I want children. Oh, no. <laughs> I Can want, you stop this? I'm going to poke a hole in all your rubbers tonight. <laughs> oh, you fuck. I want to have the Stern Empire. Can't we stop talking about this? Hey, <laughs> <laughs> hey, this is Grandma Stern. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> hey, I want another grandson. <laughs> Grandma Stern, how are you? I know you got hit by a car and died. Are you talking from heaven? Are you talking to me from heaven? Oh, Miss Sugar, I took something. Yeah. <laughs>